Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Tracks Edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Hey, uh, week 87. Like Gronk. Like Gronk. Doesn't it seem like the weeks are week. going up way too slowly? Yeah, I, I'm always sure I haven't updated it in my notes. And then I have yeah. to check Landrew every single time to see that, nope, last week was 86. It is still just week 87. <laughs> I mean, I know we're going at the rate of one week every 2.1 weeks or rough somewhere thereabouts, given the episodes we skip, but yeah. like, uh, woof. Yeah, it's not great, but again, we're getting so close to halfway. I mean, let's be honest. Who cares halfway? The next milestone is No More Enterprise. I know. Obviously, that's not as good a milestone as if it was No More Voyager. No. <laughs> For quality reasons no and as usual we start with voyager this week but i was just thinking when enterprise drops we can split voyager up so every other week one of us has to read the oh, intro there you go. and that'll be a real nice break to get away from tp and Chaco and the gang you know yeah i bet it'll be nice for you not to have to describe them i'm for one i'm glad i don't have to describe this episode <laughs> yep God, I guess we should do it. Ah, oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, fourth place last week was Voyager. This week we watched Vis-a-Vis. Katie, if you're listening to this episode, just skip forward about 70 seconds. Were you telling her to skip ahead because not only does she hate it when you speak French, but when you listen to anything French? Uh, well, she hates the sound of uh, poorly spoken French. Okay. Or maybe even well spoken, frankly. And uh, Dr. Frank's French in that is not amazing. No. I would not describe it as amazing. Sometimes not even knowing how to speak a language, you can tell if someone else is speaking it badly. Oh, sure. Like when you hear Anakin speaking Huddies. <laughs> yes, exactly. I can't speak Huddies, but I know he ain't doing it right. Yeah. Uh, that was like, that was 80s um, TV sitcom theme length. 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think the song is a minute and six seconds or something like that, or that clip's a minute and six seconds. But it's like, that's the whole song? Yes. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's not like McCormick and Hardcastle theme length. That one was interminable. <laughs> <laughs> but they had to put in all the sound effects, you know? They, weren't, they didn't want to waste them. Uh, it turns out I have almost no music in French, so. I don't really that's either, but. what made it. Now I got that Billy Joel song, C'était Toi. Oh boy! <laughs> the one that's Tell just, me about this. the one that's just Michelle by the Beatles, but you know he did his own version. <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, let's see. How, how do the notes start here? No, no, bad Voyager, bad Voyager. We start off with TP just wrenching on a fucking <laughs> sick muscle car with some generic surf rock playing. I don't. No, that's actual Dick Dale. Oh God, was it really? Yeah, he the composer, generic. the composer for Voyager used to be a Deltone. What? Yeah, that's weird. Does that come up before? It feels like the first time I've ever heard that. Well, I I only know because I read the memory alpha on this one. <clears throat> All right, so maybe it's not that generic, but it sounded generic. Yeah, well, it's just that that's what uh, instrumental surf rock sounds like. But yeah, it should have been Black Sand Beach or something. Uh, Schmollis comes to complain that TP's always in the holodeck and never doing his nurse training. Uh, TP gets called to the bridge because, you know, space is folding in on itself. You get it. <laughs> TP's definitely necessary for this mystery. You're going to want a good pilot mm-hmm. when that's happening. Anyway, TP somehow notices the ship is using a coaxial warp drive. And that is big news for some reason. Um... Also, it might blow up, and that would be bad news. Credits. Uh, TP seems to save the day with some sick-as-hell piloting, and then they save the pilot and his ship anyway, so um, nothing blew up. Uh, The pilot seems friendly enough, and they want to help him get his ship fixed up. Meanwhile, TP goes to Chaco and asks to help repair this alien ship, but TP got a bad grade in nursing, and Chaco's mad about it. And you know that Schmollis is a fucking snitch, so I don't know what TP was expecting. Like, did he think that he wasn't going to call Chakotay and complain? Probably while that emergency was happening, the doctor had put his face on one of the uh, monitors in the back of Voyager's bridge and was complaining. Voyager's equivalent of science too and he was just trying to shout over it yeah we know he just fucking eavesdrops and joins bridge conversations whenever um anyway TP complains he's bored or whatever he's bored of his life and his dumb stupid duties and um Chaco gives him permission to wrench with Steth Steth is the alien the alien is having secret physical shapeshifty issues like yeah. he keeps accidentally almost reverting to another, another identity, another physical identity, but yeah. TP doesn't notice that. He's coincidentally is always looking away when this man becomes a woman for forty <laughs> seconds. It's like when you're trying to, when you're trying to secretly fart, and when the person's looking at you, you can't do the secret fart, <laughs> and they gotta wait till they turn around. And even though it's based on noise and stuff, you're still just like, all right, he's not looking. <laughs> um. TP is late for dinner with Belana, and um, she invites him for hot sex. Or maybe yeah, uh, repairing <laughs> plasma manifolds. I actually can't tell. That is for sure the first note of my quick hitters, yeah. <laughs> I mean, innuendo in Star Trek is tricky. She might have she might have been really excited about repairing those plasma manifolds. Uh, well, okay, but if so, why do you ask Tom Paris to help you? 
Keeps, in the he, middle of the night. Are there not <laughs> night shift engineers? Yeah, but it's, you know, it's Vorik, and that's awkward. Yeah. These days. It is a little awkward. Um. Anyway, he has uh, a real freak out about how she's trying to control his life, even though she was being very cool and civil about the whole thing. Uh, he, like, won't show her his holodeck program, and he, he's been distant lately or something. I don't know. Meanwhile, Steth asks his computer how long until he has a total genomic reversion. He might have said something else. I don't care. Uh, and it says, like now, bud. Like close to now. Soon. You're going to have that. So Yeah, the, com- the computer knows all about it, which is weird because by the end of the episode, I didn't think that was his ship. <laughs> right? He, like, programmed that. He got his uh, fitness app from the all app right, store. We- we escaped uh, number one. I got to tell you all about total genomic reversion. <laughs> We're going to want to get a timer running on it. He installed his fitness app and all he had to do was sign in and then he was good to go in the new ship. Um. Anyway, TP takes his new buddy to the holodeck program. He didn't want to tell Bellana about uh, Steth negs him real good. And then then he makes his move. He steals a wrench from the toolkit. That Tom Paris is using, and I guess he steals his DNA. Anyway, then he sneaks into a cargo bay and accesses the Voyager computer, but Seven walks in on him and tells him to fuck off. And the next time he's with TP, he he straight steals his fucking physical form. And TP's left looking just like Steph. Uh, he takes his uniform and shit too. He's the new he's the new TP here. Yeah, he must have, he could, his whole body changes, but not, I don't know. I just don't know. He still had to get TP naked and take his clothes. He still had to swap clothes. He couldn't do the clothes part, too. Yeah. The clothes did not seem to have an issue changing sizes when he was switching back and forth between (laughs) the thin lady and the stocky gentleman. That's true. Yeah. Well, you know, those future fabrics. I guess he was wearing some stretchy stuff, huh? Yeah. Um... Anyway, uh, he takes his probably very unfamiliar station and launches uh, Steth's ship, who's now got TP on it, off into the fucking cosmos. Uh, he fakes his way through a conversation with Chaco, but then gets lost on the way to Sick Bay, and like Harry sees him looking up how to get to Sick Bay, but that doesn't make him curious at all. <laughs> no, he is very easily. Uh, put off of the scent by the very dumb thing that Tom Paris would never say. It's it's kind of crazy. It's crazy, except that it, literally everybody in the episode who isn't Tom Paris or Steph acts like they cannot fucking figure this one out. Yeah. Uh, Schmollis, uh gives him some homework when he finally gets to sick bay, and he gets out of that with flattery. Um, and then he goes and bothers Balana and convinces her to give it up. I mean, she obliges. <laughs> uh, finally, TP wakes up on Steth's ship. I don't know how long he was out. Uh, but he's under attack from some new different aliens who are understandably very mad at Steth for stealing one of their physical forms. Uh, or are they mad at him for stealing the ship? I Boy, I got... Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I got lost. There are many times in these notes, in this episode description, where I say, I don't really know. I don't know what okay. was happening. 
uh, fake TP tries to get Balana to come away on a sex trip with him, and she says she can't because of work, and he gets real physical and nasty with her. Yeah. Then Seven comes to visit fake TP, who is drunk, so I guess you can get the real booze. Um, because he was late for a meeting that they were supposed to have, and she spies him reading the captain's personal logs. And then he gets real physical and weird with her, too. Yeah. Which is weird, because based on the previous episodes, I would expect that Seven of Nine could turn him inside out. And would be happy to. And would kind of enjoy it. Yeah, she doesn't seem to want to hold back on those kinds of things, but... I guess she just goes and snitches. She probably just gave him a na- some nanoprobes that are going to give him, like, rock and diarrhea later. <laughs> she can use them for any purpose, as we know. It's called Seven's Revenge. <laughs> um, Janeway calls fake TP in and lectures him. And he gets choky with her, too. Yeah. And then Tuvok com- comes in and stuns him. There's a scene of real TP working with the new alien to track Voyager. I cut you off. You didn't mention that there's always a bigger fish. There's always, there's always a bigger fish twice. Um, yeah, so yeah, he's working with the new alien uh, to track Voyager. But uh, then there's a scene of Schmollis going over TP's test results and explaining that... Does he even explain anything, or just he thinks something's up? There's there's extra DNA in there. There's more DNA. He's got the more DNA. Maybe from a virus? And then, real TP shows up at Voyager, and he says all the things that Janeway should very much believe by now. But she assumes real TP is Steph the villain, and decides to hold his ship in a tractor beam. Meanwhile... Fake TP is now fake Janeway, we find out. And he steals a shuttle. He or she steals a shuttle and stuns Seven. It's getting pretty confusing. And real TP convinces Chaco to let him go after the shuttle. Right, because they're stealing a shuttle that has been modified using Steph's coaxial warp drive. Right, so Voyager won't do a good chase. Right. There's a dumb firefight between the shuttle and the alien ship, and TP wins, and then Schmollis whips up a substitute and restores TP and Janeway, and it's old Steth, the other alien, Steth's identities. I don't remember what the real alien's name was, right? Because Steth was a stolen identity. We never identity. learn okay. what the real alien's name is. Anyway, uh, Steth, now restored, takes the alien away to, I guess, find his other victims and see if they can repeat this process until they get back to the start, because they assume... Yeah, you said, you said Schmollis would up a substitute. I assumed that they forced him to switch them back. Oh. Wait, what do you mean? I assumed that once they had imposter Janeway, right. they forced him to reverse all oh, of the changes. Oh, maybe. Using his own personal magic? Oh, that could be. I don't know why he'd comply, but maybe. Um... TP takes Balana to his dumb car program, and I guess they're both totally fine now. So that's... Boy, that was this confusing episode. You think it's one of those things where she's like, I don't know, some of that time you weren't yourself, and frankly, if I don't try to work out which time you were you and which time you weren't, it'll be a lot easier for me to let some of this stuff go. <laughs> Maybe, but I got a lot to say about Balana. Cool. In this plot that they keep forcing on us, her relationship with TP, that um, 
I don't, I can't imagine anybody was ever interested in. But first, why did you think there were shippers? That is a good question. I can't imagine anyone was like, "Oh, finally, I've been really I wanted those two to get together." Uh, what was this episode about? The grass is always greener on the other side. Okay. Uh, Tom acts real shitty to everyone in his life because he's bored and he wishes he could run off and be a test pilot like Steph. Steph. Yep, Steph. Meanwhile, by the way, Steph. Steph is what the old lady I used to work with uh, at Oxford called. Um, Steph and Seth Curry. She just ah, called them go. both Steph. <laughs> um, meanwhile, uh, this old boy wants a sweet slice of that good, good Starfleet life with like replicators and a big bed and a girlfriend. Yep. He kind of wants a girlfriend. It does seem like it. And um, eh, they're both wrong. They should just be happy with what they've got. That's what this message. That's what the message of this is. Just be happy with what you got. Yeah, I mean, that's and, it. Um, I mean, it's not much, but they didn't make me work for it. I am giving them as much as four. Okay. Uh, before I read Ben's, I'll just say I had the exact same take as you when I gave it a five. I just... Okay. Uh, extremely fucking wrote, but at least it was obvious. Um, ben gave it a three with allow people to get to know you and become important to you. He said he didn't find anything in the A plot, so he went with the B plot, which I guess is the relationship between Balana and TP, though it was tied up in the A plot. Um, anyway, he thought that, obviously, the whole Balana thing, but then also the crew knows him so well that they catch on to the fact that something's up. But they did No, they fucking don't. They this did. is probably the single worst instance. The only one that's worse than this is when that O'Brien clone got through the whole episode without <laughs> being discovered. Well, wait, but he was really O'Brien, right? Like, he was just basically O'Brien, but he was Yeah, he was an identical. He wasn't an yeah. imposter. He was a, a clone that had, like, a brain dupe or something. I guess we should all remember that they all just had a long conversation about what was going to happen over his dying body. Yes. <laughs> he was he was still alive. Just the life kind of slowly fading out of him, and they were all just kind of talking amongst themselves, standing right over his body. He just got his femoral artery <laughs> nicked, and he's bleeding to death, and like, getting cold, and starting to get tremors. And he they're didn't just like, know. So he's a clone? <laughs> long conversation including the other o'brien real o'brien just kind of looking at him like oh what's this like hey man they hate clones in the federation huh wow yeah um well we know Riker and pulaski's take on clones right then we know o'brien was from that ship so that might have something to do with it and also o'brien saw picard ice basically a time clone so (laughs) well let's also not forget because we saw this episode as well that the O'Brien we know is a, is a fake future O'Brien from like 10 hours in the future or something. Do you remember that? The real O'Brien died and this O'Brien's a replacement from very, very shortly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like even less consequential than Harry Kim 2, <laughs> yes. who is a replacement from a, of a Harry Kim from a universe that diverged about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> He's technically not the O'Brien we started with. Right, yeah, I kind of had forgotten that. It's a, it's a very forgettable episode. Uh, <laughs> all right, fuck. Um, anyway, yeah, so his take was was a three. Uh, so yeah, basically they do a terrible job of spotting the imposter. It's really, like, so many of the things that they say in the face uh, of, I'm not even going to call it evidence, but of obvious fucking weird shit happening is kind of crazy. Where yeah. they're just like, nah, we got this. Um, he gave it a three in execution as well. One of the things I uh, 
pulled out of his notes. It must be that this guy is either psychotic or the shape-shifting makes him psychotic because he went around and just putting his hands on everybody. Yeah, he's handsy, for real. Uh, and then he said, why can't Voyager pursue the the ship themselves? Fake Janeway. The carburetor. And then he said, dumb. And that was a question that I had as well, which I guess I guess they didn't have the coaxial warp drive, so they couldn't. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, I will be interested to see whether the coaxial warp drive exists or has ever existed next week, because I know that they took the ship back to go put right what once went wrong mm-hmm. with this guy. Yep. But like, hey, they still have that modified shuttle. I know Tom shot the carburetor, but he invented it. Yeah, so he should be able to do it again. Seems like they also, should have a coaxial warp drive pretty soon and then get home. It's one of the two or three or ten technologies that we've heard of in Voyager that allows you to be anywhere instantaneously. So you'd think they'd be interested. Well, they in said it. long distance. They did. It did seem like you can be instantaneously a long distance away. So okay. it's not uh, all points in the universe you become a weird no, axolotl. Luckily, it's not all points in the universe because, again, that sounded extremely dangerous to me. They yeah. didn't seem worried about it, but the way they it, said it seemed very worried. A lot of those points, you, you shouldn't be. You just shouldn't be in them. <laughs> What's going to happen to all those... where you're not supposed to be. Not just you. What's going to happen to all those points? I just don't know how it's supposed to That's work. An, it cannot be good. Yeah. It can't be good for any point in the universe that already has another thing there. Yeah, then if you're there, because like, what's going to happen to the, the thing that's there? That's it's, very, it seemed dangerous. It's very bad. Uh, anyway, he finishes with, this started out okay, but it went downhill fast. I thought it started terribly and remained terrible. Um, <laughs> well, what did you... How did you think it executed? I only gave it as much as a two. Oh, God. TP sucks. Let's do a TP episode so we can show all the ways that he sucks. That's what the viewers must want. They'll come back in greater numbers next week if they really hate the main cast even more. <laughs> right? <laughs> um... Nothing about this was pleasant to watch. I hated the the Steph plot. I hated the Tom Paris Bolana stuff. It was. It, I mean, I could see a one. And if there was something valuable in here, I don't know what it was. So a two for me. Um, well, I liked it a little better, I guess. Okay. Uh, I do have some questions. How did this guy not know things were going to immediately fall apart? trying to step into tom paris's whole life at once it's an insane like, plan this is at least the third third swap he's done so he really should know better like well, was there not a reason he picked weird test pilot guy who's always alone <laughs> right i thought that was sort of the was whole that not point. intentional was that okay it's just gonna be me on a ship this is gonna be easy like i can just fly the ship around because like one thing you definitely cannot do is take the place of somebody who has a girlfriend who knows them it's tough well i mean you'd think it would be tough if you're not getting anything from the person's brain to the extent that you gotta look up where sick bay is on a fucking map and you don't even know how to use the map that good apparently because it shouldn't be that hard to find uh yeah what's your plan this is a big fucking swing he really got Did he lucky think tom paris uh was like a lot more senior on this ship and people wouldn't be telling him to go do stuff that <laughs> like, he didn't know how to do. He could just tell him all the fuck off. <clears throat> yeah, again, he got extremely lucky with everyone in this episode. That everyone was yeah. willing to just be like, I don't know, it's fine. Yeah, oh, it's very frustrating to me that in this universe where body swaps and clones and alien duplicates are a dime a dozen, mm-hmm. 
this guy got to be an asshole to so many people without being discovered. Yep. Just walked around the ship being an asshole. I guess when he symbolically lets Milana see his Camaro at the end, we're supposed to think that the off-camera funk he's been going through at the beginning is over now that he's been through this thought experiment. Mm. But we spent so much time on all the body swapping that we don't know enough about what was going wrong with his life Uh to understand what has changed, why it's different, what's going to be different, why it's better now. Yeah, he like kind of hints at monotony. Yes. Which is so crazy. It's extremely crazy because... Because every other week they're in some kind of emergency super danger. Well, uh, the last, uh, the last week, last week he woke up (laughs) in World War II Paris. That's right, in occupied France. Occupied France, fighting Nazis who were Hirogen aliens. (laughs) That was last week. I know! But that's what he was hinting at, right? Wasn't he like, oh, I just got to keep doing this yeah. stuff every day. I don't even know why I'm doing it. The week before that was retrospect. Was that the one where Seven of Nine went crazy and then we had to litigate recovered memories? Oh, God, yes. For that prey, hunters. I forget what message in a bottle is, but I'm sure it sucked. That was one of those ones where the they were getting, is that the one with the the Andy Dick? I don't know. Oh, yeah. That, okay. Yeah. Well, he didn't really have anything to do that week. That would have been a boring week for him. Yeah. Uh, the week before that, though, was waking moments <laughs> the when everyone had to live in a nightmare. <laughs> the one that we lived in a nightmare. The, yeah. It was the worst episode by our rubric of all time. Yeah, so far. Um. So, I don't know. It doesn't seem that boring. That's I couldn't believe it when he was saying that. Yeah. You know what? I had initially given this a five because the TV making part of it there wasn't anything really wrong with it. That's why I gave it as much as a two. Because like it I was mostly like, went well. I was like, at least it like narratively made sense. Yeah. In retrospect, though, it's uh, I'm going to drop it down to a four. Okay. Uh, world building. Uh, I mean, Ben says, uh, you know, coaxial warp drive. Uh, the the Benthans. I don't know. Yeah, he says... There's not a lot. Were they actually outfitting... A shuttle pod with coaxial warp, they know that going that fast at a shuttle pod turns you into a horny salamander. They should know it. <laughs> and uh, we're on the same page, because for world building, I just have coaxial warp drive is Tom Paris's wet dream, even though he's been through the threshold. <laughs> so, uh, it's just a one for me. Like, this is weird shit in space. It really is. To the one of the larger extents. Yeah. Well, let me see if I can add some... Let me see if I can shed some light on this right. great episode. This is where you're going to say the various names of things that have come <laughs> up in the episode, and I'm going to just think to myself, well, that's nothing. Well, I too started with coaxial warp drive, or as Chaco calls it, coaxial what? <laughs> oh, it yeah, was the warp drive was part warp that's drive. confusing to Warp it. drive was very tricky. He understood me. coaxial. He knows what that means. <laughs> I paused the episode for a very long time at that point. It was the teaser. I just couldn't... Uh, coaxial what? Bro! You know what warp drive is? Uh, TP walks out of the holodeck and he's got all that grease all over him. Did he apply it before he went to go do pretend car stuff? Or is the entire ship still a big holodeck? This is a particularly bad episode for it because 
Clearly the wrench is real. Yes, he must have taken that toolkit in there. But the grease... The wrench is real. He wasn't really getting DNA. He was really getting DNA on it. This guy was able to steal it and walk away. He he wore his uh, coveralls Jumpsuit? to the bridge. <sighs> I'm specifically asking, did he apply yeah, grease to the, himself? No, the holodeck replicated grease and <laughs> let him wear it out. It's so crazy. Even though you can't replicate stuff in the holodeck, it's on its own energy system. And if you could just rep, <laughs> why people don't just go eat lunch in the holodeck, right. where it would apparently be real, is is baffling. I, yeah. All right, how about this? Seven has eidetic memory. I don't know if we've talked about it before, but she has eidetic memory. Uh, it's the only thing that makes sense, because she remembers everything the Borg ever fucking knew. Yep. She's a real data up there, so... Tuvok keeps his phaser tucked under his security console, and I wonder if it's in, like, a cup holder or something. <laughs> Just kind of loosely sitting in there. Because he reaches down when Janeway calls for help and grabs it from somewhere under his security console. It's a good question. No way he doesn't just wear it. Yeah, he's clearly not belting it, and I don't know why. Um, what's a chromoelectric pulse? You know what it is. It's got it's a it's an electric pulse, but it's got colors. <laughs> TP uses it to disable the shuttle. Uh, chromoelectron dynamics is a uh, and and then chromo quantum dynamics are uh, areas of quantum mechanics. So um, clearly it was borrowed from that, but I don't think it, the phrase chromoelectric it doesn't mean anything in and of itself. Uh, anyway, my final note is, I could see a one, though, because I gave it two. So when I say I could give, I could see a one, and someone else gives it a one, I give it a <laughs> it becomes one. becomes a one? Yes. That's the rule? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's because I lack the courage to give it a one. I mean, this was not an episode that teaches us anything about this universe. No, the all. only thing I could pull out that might be meaningful in the future is that Seven has plainly stated she has eidetic memory. Yeah. Uh, which I'm sure will just be problematic. I'm sure there'll be something she doesn't remember in a minute. Well, we know she's had lots of memories that she hasn't been able to get unless Schmollis helped her with them. So yeah, that's true. I don't know. Uh, she probably still thinks that guy did a thing. Did a uh, <laughs> after Schmollis whipped her up into a fucking <laughs> insane fucking rage. Well, he told her she'd have fifty orgasms when this guy was convicted. <laughs> she wants them. She's here to collect. That was so bad. She says, oh, that does sound good. I was a little bit surprised when at the end of that episode, Schmollis apologized for being so shitty. <laughs> because they normally they would write that. But he did it in that. the worst possible yes. way. He went in there. It's like if you did something minor at work and your boss is like, hey, we need to talk. And you said, well, fire me then. <laughs> Turn me off. Shut it's me like, down. Okay, reset me. I guess we're not talking then. Yeah, he's a real piece of crap. Uh, what are we on? Characterization? Yeah, <laughs> give it to me. I gave it a one. <laughs> Check this out. Schmollis is, uh, I don't know, TP's new dad or teacher or something. He's real disappointed in him in the beginning. And he falls hard for fake TP's flattery. TP is too frivolous. Why can't he focus on being responsible? He's bored of the humdrum existence out here in the Delta Quadrant where every day is the same as the last. Wait, what? Anyway, he <laughs> continues to be the absolute worst boyfriend ever, even to the point that maybe Balana could be forgiven for not realizing it wasn't TP at all post-switch, because the other guy <laughs> sucked too. 
Yeah, for, I guess in her mind, it's just like, well, he's never uh, roughed me up before, but it actually it's, does fit the progression. <laughs> kind of tracks. I mean, he fucking exploded on her before he'd been switched in the like, replimat or whatever they call that mess hall. Like, for real, she is probably one uh, sarcastic remark about him losing his hair away from catching a slap. <laughs> That's my feeling about Tom Paris. <laughs> yes, I think so, too. He sucks at golf, too. Um, I'm not sure why everyone was happy in the end. Nothing happens except he finally takes Blana to his shitty hollow program. Uh, it's Neelix's job to de-escalate when people got, have personal spats in the mess hall. Because he ain't got no staff. It's just him back there. Balana's going to have some explaining to do. She could not tell at all that this was some rando pretending to be her man. Now, TP sucks so hard she shouldn't even feel bad about it. But, like, she did not appear to fucking know that this no. guy who literally had no memories from TP's head. She probably let him do some new stuff, too, because he was, you know... He was freaky. Being a little, he was being a little pushy about it, but... Ugh. Tom Paris is very boring, I assume. Chaco and Janeway are both in it, but they're total nothings. Just real big zeros like Harry in this one. Yeah. Um, then, Despite all the obvious clues, they never figure anything out. Um, no, his best friend and the person he works most closely with I just have no <laughs> fucking idea. He doesn't know where Sigfei is. He gives the worst lie ever about how he's trying to find a more... Fucking efficient route efficient. From between his quarters and sick bay. And I don't know, but I'm guessing he was not on that route. No, probably not because he was lost. <laughs> yeah. It would be great if uh, Harry Kemp said, okay, but why, you here, why are we done on deck 18? I don't really under. Why didn't he just sit there and just near there. fucking look at him for like 10 seconds and then go, what? Who are you? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, it's a one, man. I was disappointed by everybody in it. Uh, uh I mean, Ben's a four. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah. Chaco needs... I think he's saying this for Chaco's benefit. Why would Janeway fake out the crew, stun seven, and steal one of the crazy shuttle, one of the upgraded shuttles? Because oh, yeah. TV has to convince Chaco at the end. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. No. Uh, I'm. I'm a. I'm a three. Uh, well, let's see. Let's see if I'm really a three. Okay. We get just enough to suggest that Tom is looking for some kind of an escape from his routine with all this holodeck horse shit, without the writers having to invent some actual thoughts and emotion for him. Like they do exactly the minimum amount of work to make this story make sense. Mm -hmm. But he's kind of the only character that's really in this one. As usual, it, hold on, sorry. As usual, if they had just decided to go small and just do an episode about TP's psyche. Yeah, probably a better episode, It's right? a better episode, even though we hate TP so much. Yeah. Uh, Schmollis and Cam come off as real nitwits for falling for this shtick. Uh, I guess Chakotay makes the tough call that something is weird about Janeway abandoning ship as soon as the specter of shape changing is raised. <laughs> Uh, but I don't think that that's, you know, really worth a lot of credit for saying, okay, go after her. I guess so. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, I think it's only a two. It's, I, I want to say that I did not hate this episode as much as the score reflects. Okay. Again, because it was not baffling. 
No, no, in the nor- it was not in the normal Voyager way. Very difficult to follow and <laughs> nonsensical if you thought about it for a second. It wasn't twisted or um, no, it was disappointing in several areas. Yeah, but uh, man, I have very few quick hitters this week. All right. um, let's just start with Ben's. Why does he need real tools for the holodeck? Why doesn't he just ask for one to be created? Yeah. Technically, shouldn't coaxial drive be a thing now and something they'd work to incorporate into Voyager? Yeah, well, we never see the shuttle go into coaxial drive, and I guess next week we'll just hear that it was a failure, or the next time it comes up. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like how the transwarp drive in Star Trek Three breaks because uh, Scotty steals a couple of bolts out of the engine. And then it's not heard from And again. then we just never hear about transwarp again, but maybe that's why the ships are so much faster 70 years later. I don't know. Yeah. I have a few. One, is recalibrating the plasma manifolds a sex thing? If not, what? what's up with that invitation? Do you want Tom Paris to recalibrate the plasma manifolds? Seems like it's the wrong guy, but again, who's she supposed to ask? Fucking Vorik or Harry? Where's Scott Thompson? Is he still alive? I don't know the answer to this question. I can't keep track of the uh, ancillary characters. Okay. Yeah, Harry Kim is who you need to ask then, I guess. Yeah. At least, uh, and at least you get to tease him about his crush on Seven if you do it with him. Right? Oh, that's right. That and when they are together, that is all she does. So yeah, yeah. Hey, do you remember in um, Silence when Data calls Picard Jean Luc and gives the game away? Yeah. Hey, remember the schizoid man? Uh huh. Hey, remember when Lore set a contraction and got beamed into space? I remember those things. Yeah, not this week. No. <laughs> Do you remember when Picard sang an old song, an old English song? <laughs> okay, so the part of it is nobody, they don't have a Riker on board here who <laughs> Grappler Zorn's everything, and we saw it again this week that he does Oh, he was, he's Grappler Zorn from the drop. He Grappler week, yeah. Zorn's that M-Class planet so hard uh, that they have to go back and check it out again or whatever. Uh, I give best actor to Dick Dale, worst <laughs> actor to totally not pregnant Bolana. You should give Best Actor to Dick Dale. Because I thought it was generic surf rock, but it was really Dick Dale. It was really Dick Dale? <laughs> he deserves it. Yeah. Yeah, Bellana uh, did not get out of that engineering coat, did she, the entire time? No. And not only that, but she was hunched way forward up to the table so that you could only see the shoulders of the engineering coat. <laughs> Even when she gets into the car at the end, I think she's wearing the engineering coat. She's wildly pregnant this week, huh? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, did you write anything down? I did, I did. I immediately recognized Steth's voice. It turns out he's Bulldog from Frasier. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. not Bulldog, not a well-written character. Sometimes I wonder if Frasier the show was written by Frasier the character. Because <laughs> Bulldog is the kind of villain... The character Frasier probably is worried about out there in the world. Because <laughs> he's like, Frasier's so far removed from like the real grime that's out there that he thinks the bulldog, who's like a little bit crass, is just the worst. You've been rewatching Frasier lately? Where's all this Frasier thoughts coming from? It's been a, it's been a long from? time. I just, when I noticed it was Bulldog from Frasier, then I had all these thoughts about, <laughs> that was the bad guy. It. He was the bad guy in Frasier. Um, oh boy for the experience of watching Frasier for me as an adult was just me shouting at Niles this is not your apartment you can just leave <laughs> that's right 
He does get caught in a lot of situations. He's got a lot of situations where maybe he's standing in the doorway and could just turn around and go home. Yeah, it shows a real farce, it turns out. A lot of scenes where um, people are uh, going down hallways with lots of doors and like going into one door and then... Someone else tries to go into that door, and like, yeah, it's a classic farce. It's it's really, it's really a farce. Uh, I had worst actor candidate, alien lady, uh, who's looking for her, the guy who stole her body. Not a ton of jaw. Yeah, you know what I'm here for. Was her delivery on that? Uh, Kate must have been sick during filming because her voice is real raspy near the end of this episode. That's it. Third place last week was The Next Generation. Mm. This week we watched Clues. <laughs> yeah, right in the middle there. I saved it. Uh, Enterprise is having a half day because they did a successful mission and everyone's just playing around. Worf and Riker are doing Tai Chi. Uh, Beverly's running some cool science experiments on her day off. Uh, Picard and Guinan are playing in the holodeck. Yeah. She thinks that uh, Dixon Hill is super dumb, but Picard explains that it's a mystery and it's fun to look for clues. Boy, they really and, went at it, didn't they? <laughs> and then Data calls him to report an M-class planet around a T-Tauri star, which I guess is weird enough that Picard cancels everyone's vacation. Yeah. Hey, like uh, me, did you think... There was going to be more Guinan in this. Yeah, I was kind of like, hey, where's Guinan for the rest of the episode? But then Just, it becomes uh, like really clear why there's no Guinan in the rest why of the episode. Why doesn't Picard go talk to Guinan about what's going on with Data? Because <laughs> she'd immediately go, so I'm main right. <laughs> yeah, And that would true. be the episode. <laughs> it would be over. <laughs> She probably would just be like, this sounds like the Paxons. And be like, ah! (laughs) TNG should not put so many characters on their show that are capable of sensing when things are wrong. Because then when they're written out of the episode, you know why. Well, uh, they briefly, they get to this star. They briefly detect uh, odd energy signatures, uh, which Picard and Data suspect are the result of an unstable wormhole. And then one of these things eats the fucking ship and Data turns around to see the whole bridge crew unconscious. Yeah. Credits. Uh, they just wake up. Uh, Data tells Picard that the crew was out for about 30 seconds. There weren't any life-threatening injuries. They reset the ship's clock. Troy's got a headache. Data thinks they probably shouldn't go back to the wormhole zone. They should just send a probe to check out that M-class planet. O'Brien has some ligament damage. Also, he hates his new wife. And when Crusher goes for her med kit, which she left in the other room of sickbay that we've never seen before, mm-hmm. uh, all her Pokeballs are full of whoopers. Oh, fucking God. <laughs> it's real bad. Yeah. Uh, she gives Nurse Ogawa some microaggression about it, but lets it go. Yep. Uh, and then the probe uh, that Data sent reveals a frozen gas world, and Riker is Groppler Zorn level suspicious about it. He, he cannot. He's never yeah. going to let that stand. Um, but Data has a fairly credible explanation, and so they just go on their way. I mean, it's not a good explanation. Like when I don't want to get into it, but when I, we're gonna when Data says that maybe they were seeing the afterimage of a planet on the other side of the wormhole, no one says. Do you mean where we are now? We're on that side. We went through it. Do you remember I mean, that? 
Or we do you were mean over where there we came and from? now we're here. Do you mean where we That's... came from? Because that planet wasn't over there. That is weird. <laughs> um, Crusher brings her moss to Picard. Uh, and I guess he knows all about this fancy moss. But then she says, uh, hey, this moss grew a whole day in the 30 seconds we were out. Yeah. And Picard says, I don't know, man. Everything else says we were only out half a minute. But she insists and he makes a big frown face and he calls a meeting about it. This is what gets him a lot of the time is when Crusher insists on something. Yep. Uh, Data spews some obvious horse shit about Pell Underhill's theory of everything has to be set right. It's the theory of how if something went wrong somewhere, the whole rest of the universe has got to change a little bit. And now Berenstein Bears is spelled with an A. That's right. Even though we all remember how it was originally spelled. Uh, So... Uh, no one believes him. And so Picard gives him busy work. And as soon as he's out of the room, Jordy gives him up as a big lie. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> I really liked it. Um, they don't know if Data was affected by the wormhole or he's lying. So he has Jordy and Beverly look into a couple of ship systems that could tell them maybe how much time has really passed. They all meet up in engineering, and everyone agrees Data fucking lied. <laughs> but you gotta love it. You gotta love on TNG how capable everybody is, especially compared to, like, Voyager, where mm-hmm. they didn't need Jordy to tell them that. Like, that no, was just they, the final confirmation. They clearly all knew. Everyone knew everyone not to get knew. up and leave the room when yeah. Picard told Data to go do something else. Everyone, everyone knew to keep sitting there. They all went, well, that's fucking bullshit. I've heard <laughs> they bullshit. Heard his, they all heard his horseshit theory, and they said... <laughs> Uh, okay. Hey, Data, we got some real important work we need you to do. Data, I promised uh, Ensign whatever that you'd help him with the sensors. Can you go do that immediately, please? I wonder, is Data sophisticated enough to know what is being done right there? It's very hard to tell what's going through Data's mind most of this episode. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hijack it. So they call Data into the ready room, and he just refuses to give up the game. But he does agree to be checked out by LaForge in engineering. Yeah. Uh, he won't tell Jordy anything he hasn't told Picard, but I guess he checks out okay. At this point, they start to wonder about that M-Class planet again. Mm. And uh, Picard is like in the middle of telling everyone, go find any clues you can find. We need clues. <laughs> he says when clues Troy, a lot in this episode. When Troy suddenly gets music boxed or something or 2D life formed maybe. And for some fucking reason, they let her go to her quarters instead of sickbay. It happens every week, and every week we say, man, she really doesn't want to go to sickbay, huh? These fuckers, does Picard, has he forgotten that five weeks ago she tried to resign <laughs> because she would not take medical advice? She tried to resign, From like, now on, fucking this bitch minutes. goes to sickbay. Yeah, that's, I mean, I have some theories about it. We'll get into it. Anyway, Worf walks her to her quarters, and as soon as he turns around, she gives a big scream from inside the room, and he rushes in, and she tells him she saw a scary face in the mirror, and then she tells everyone that it was her, but like it wasn't her, Yeah, but like it was her face, but it was somebody else in there also, or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, Worf also goes and tells Crusher he's been having wrist pain. Yeah, because he also didn't go to sickbay with this wrist no. pain. No, because he wouldn't ordinarily complain about it. And also, I guess he thought he just probably hurt his wrist when he fell over. Mm-hmm. Like, I probably, if I had some minor wrist pain, 
after that incident wouldn't have gone either. So I get it. But he does have to talk about how warriors shouldn't complain <laughs> instead of just saying, I don't know, I thought I probably just I tweaked, tweaked it, it when I yeah. fell on it and it would just get better because, <laughs> yeah. like, I live in a human body. I mean, he's a Klingon, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Sometimes your knee hurts or your ankle hurts and then it's just better. I don't know. Yeah, but boy, hey, I don't ever tell the doctors. I don't ever go to the doctor in real life. But man, if they had a thing where they just went whoop, 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 and you were better, maybe I would. Yeah, I probably would be more. Maybe I would because like right now it's not worth it. I don't want to go through that. (laughs) I will get better or I won't. But either way, I'm not going to the hospital. Uh. Jordy found the fake planet data in the library and now he and Picard go to data's quarters and they said, Hey, we did a Google image search (laughs) and it turns out that this planet is not at the other end of that fucking wormhole. (laughs) You know, earlier I asked if he knew what was happening when they sent him out. He, and now you think he does. He has a look on his face in this scene where he's like, I I knew that was going to happen. I wasn't proud of the effort I made on that, but I had to change 150 (laughs) things. I had seconds. So it was like these guys were just looking over my shoulder while I did. It was bad. So I, yeah, I I knew I was going to get fucking nailed on that one. Yeah. He's not, he doesn't confirm or deny anything. Jordy leaves to go send another probe. Picard tries to emotionally blackmail Data at this point by telling him about Troy's mirror freakout. And uh, as a result of this effort, he manages to elicit a very vague suggestion that the whole crew may be at risk, but Mm -hmm. Data won't even give him a straight answer about that either. Picard now outright threatens him, uh, saying that a court-martial would A, finish Data's career, and B, probably get him turned over to cyberneticists to be examined, Mm -hmm. as if this has not been litigated. Yep. <laughs> but Data still won't obey his order to explain. Yeah. Uh, Crusher tells Picard that Worf's wrist was broken, and it looks like she's the one who fixed it. I guess she didn't do it that good, though. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the assumption. It's yeah. still bothering him. Um, uh, Worf immediately jumps to conclusions and thinks Data broke his wrist, because, like... There's not that many people stronger than Worf, and there's no way that he could have fallen or got it caught in a door that closed unexpectedly or anything. (laughs) Right. And we all know the wrist Uh, is the strongest part of the Klingon body. Yeah, but Picard has already made up his mind that uh, Data thinks he's doing the right thing. Yeah. And he just wants to understand what it is. The the new probe reaches the planet, and of course it is M-Class, just like they thought. Uh, and Picard now announces his theory out loud that for the whole day that they were unconscious, they were fighting for their lives and that it can only have been a stalemate. Mm-hmm. But this is going to be a big black mark on Data's record if they don't go back there and put the whole ship in danger. Yep. So they do that. Uh, <laughs> they get to the planet. A bunch of green fog appears. A small ball of it comes at the ship. Too slow to be a photon torpedo, says Riker. <laughs> It goes into Troy, as all space balls do, and she goes to see Data and tells him the plan has failed in a creepy voice. The plan has failed. <laughs> Jordy brings Data to the bridge. Uh, it's actually the same voice that everyone in Star Wars uses when they talk about Chancellor Valorum. It really is. <laughs> it is It is Amidala's diplomatic voice, for sure. <laughs> Um, Data tells Picard they gotta, they gotta get out of there immediately or they're gonna be in, in big trouble. And Picard fumbles around trying to figure out who ordered Data to keep secrets. And But then at that point, Troy followed them, I guess. She shows up at the bridge. 
And finally, Data says, listen, you gave me the fucking order. We got to get out of here. But the energy field starts enveloping the ship. Yeah. Uh, Data stalls for time. He says that the aliens are called the Paxons. Troy steps forward and says they've invaded their system. Data explains that the Paxons are xenophobes and that they use this wormhole trick to keep themselves hidden. But it didn't work this time because Data wasn't knocked out. And then we go to a flashback. Yeah. And Data narrates, and he says that he woke the crew up, and the Paxons took over Troy's body. She broke Worf's wrist. Yeah, Worf goes down like uh, a little bitch again. So take that, Worf. Yeah. Told him she was going to destroy the whole ship, um, and Picard warned them that he would that, that would just bring ship after ship to their system. This is a real Kirk answer. Yep. Uh, and then they made a compromise plan of they would do a memory wipe, and Picard would order Data never to reveal what had happened, and back in the present... Uh, Troy still wants to blow the ship up. Picard says, listen, we can just treat that as a rehearsal and do it all again. We'll just get rid of the few remaining clues that we found this time. Uh, luckily, although these guys are xenophobes, they're not dicks about it because nope. they agree. They go, yeah, the sure, Paxton round two, why not? <laughs> leaves Troy's body. They got nothing but time. I guess. All they've got is this fucking fake wormhole. It's just, if they're so uh, cool, why are they so intent on blowing them up each time? <laughs> it's a real good question. Uh, but it's, again, one of those times where luckily Picard has a very reasonable opponent. Yes. They do everything again. And I guess this time it works super good because no one asks any questions at all when they wake up again. They don't say the same stuff they said the first time. They don't even wait for the probe data to come in before they fuck right off. Yeah, for some reason, Riker does not Groppler Zorn on that M-Class planet this time. There, there's like nothing, nothing stirs anybody into action. So, Matthew, <clears throat> what's the premise of this episode? Uh, a mystery is irresistible. Well, shoot, that's probably true, but who cares? I gave it a four. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ben's take, uh, his curiosity kills the cat, and then he says, seems dumb, and he gives it a two. <laughs> yeah, like they're telling you, don't ever be curious about anything. Uh, I think that the premise of this episode is either once we get the scent of a mystery, we can never stop, or practice makes perfect. <laughs> it's true. But either way, so what? Yep. what is the takeaway do crime better is that what this is yeah don't need, leave clues you need to cover it up really cover it up do a good job is this for criminals is this to tell criminals that if you just do a good enough job everything's gonna be uh just hunky dory literally no one will bat an eyelash it's a three for me okay yeah they said clues 400,000 times, so it is impossible <laughs> to miss that take. By the way, I always expect someone to say the title, so I always write down who says it and when. But then That's after Picard, the, and it's immediate. After the seventh time Picard said it, I went, I'm not, I don't care anymore. I'm not going <laughs> to talk about it. I know it's a common enough we... word, but my God, they said it a lot. <laughs> yes. Um, I guess about, we should talk about execution. Yeah, what about execution? Mismanaged minutes is, oh. as usual, the big one. Uh, the cold open is really long. The Dixon Hill stuff does no work. We don't need to establish that mysteries are fun and everyone likes looking for clues. It's really dumb. It's the dumbest it's, framing device. It is as if the writer said, I don't know, man. What if people think in the future we won't like mysteries anymore? Yeah. And then someone said, that's a good point. We better put a long scene in. <laughs> Where they do dicks in hell. We better hire all these people again and do all this costume work. And 
They probably flipped a fucking coin that said Dixon Hill on one side and Sherlock Holmes on the other. Exactly. Those are their mystery programs. And they went, and you know, we got Whoopi this week, so we got her for one scene. What we got? (sighs) So then the flashback at the end Uh is like 90 seconds long. Definitely way shorter than the Dixon Hill stuff, for sure. In this flashback, Picard has to immediately grasp the problem and come up with a threat and a solution. Mm-hmm. And the Paxons have to immediately agree because there's no they have not left themselves any time for this scene to be realistic. Which so was done! You are invaders. I'm going to destroy your ship. If you do that, if you do that, then you'll be discovered for sure. Starfleet will never stop sending ships. Now, what do you if propose, you have then? the ability to <laughs> knock us out, you must have the ability to erase our memory. I do, so indeed. So what if you did that? Okay. But the... Uh, but the android, I can't erase his memory. What if I order him never to... Now, Data, come here. I'm going to give you a very strange order. And it's just like, there's no breath. There, The the flashback is uh, is is rushed. It's like the wrap-up of an episode of the animated series, right? Yes. It's, um, it's super smashed together. And, and then they... Even doing it that short, they don't have enough time to show us how things went better the second time or explain why no one was interested in the mystery the second time. Yeah, which is theoretically what the episode's supposed to be about, we, we've gathered. So, while the central character work was all pretty good, they really wasted time showing, like, like two too many clues. Two or three too many of them. Yeah, that could be for sure. And, uh... And again, how unsatisfying is the end of this episode? This, I don't know how far we had gotten in my pneumonia rewatch, but I do remember being incensed about the end of this episode, (laughs) even before we started this project. And boy, was I just every bit as mad this time. It's very, it is, it's it's astounding in a way. So again, some some parts of it are okay. The again, the the mood is largely right, and that scene where Picard sends Data out of the observation room because everybody knows he fucking lied is very good. Yep. But uh, it's just this is just so badly managed that I can only give it three points. Yeah, that's fair. Um, ben gave it four. Some of the stuff I pulled out, Data is lying overtly but giving hints. Yeah, he's doing that version of lying that, like, the Vulcans always do, or... It happens a lot in Star Trek, where they can't tell you something, but they're also not going to do even a little bit of, like, a decent job of covering up that they're lying. Right. Data, for the back half of this episode, just kind of stares at Picard looking real guilty. He does. He definitely looks like a dog that eated the French fries or whatever. Right. And again, how does he know how to do that? But anyway, uh, let's see. Another thing Ben said was warp two back to the scene of the crime. Yeah, they're not in a hurry. I also noticed it. Riker said that they had gone traveled a day's travel in 30 seconds, uh, but then they warp two back. So <laughs> I sure hope it was a fucking day at warp two. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then again, the ending. We'll just do it better the second time then. No big deal kind of crazy that that's how it ends um let's see i was slightly higher i gave it as much as a five uh let's see the music cue and big time zoom on data gives that mystery away (laughs) long before they need to yes 
Like, we were gonna figure it out anyway, guys. You put so many fucking clues in here, and Data just spends the back half of the episode basically acknowledging that he's lying. So you don't need to do, before any of those clues have come up, the big zoom. Um, I like that Riker and Picard both realize that the best course of action is to leave this one alone, but that they can't now, because Data's definitely involved in a nefarious fucking way. Yep. And he has to be vindicated. Like, it's very Star Trek of them to be like, well, we gotta save Data. Well, gotta maybe kill a thousand people because this guy's career could look bad. Also, I have the option of not reporting any of this. But... <laughs> I could just not do, like the way we're doing it with these aliens, we could just tell Starfleet, nothing happened here. Yep. Um, they at least yeah, acknowledge. No one considers the problem that by the time this is all said and done, Enterprise will have been missing for three or four days. <laughs> Yeah. They won't have to explain when they roll up on Starfleet. Eh, it's fine. Um, anyway, at least they acknowledge that it was probably a bad move, but they were going to do it anyway. They meet another cool alien, but like, too cool. They just accept that Data was ordered <laughs> not to say anything, but like, they don't know him. Why would exactly. that be good enough? <laughs> they were willing to kill everyone there. Listen... The universe of Star Trek is such a racist place that everyone instinctively believes anything you say about someone of another species. <laughs> so when Picard says he'll, he won't Everyone help. has fucking believed forever that Vulcans can't lie because someone said that one time. Yeah, and all they do is lie. And they just lie constantly. And as soon as Data says, he's an android, if I order him not to reveal it, he won't. And then yeah. she's like, agreed. Okay, then, I guess... Like, that makes sense, you would, fucking weirdo. How these people even have any ideas about androids? They're like some weird, non-physical energy beings. It is a very good question. Like, what's their experience with androids? F further, they're called the Paxons? Is that their own name? They have language? How did this work? Who <laughs> uh -huh. called them the Paxons? And then they adopted it, so when they met all the other physical aliens, they'd be like, We're called the Paxons. I made I made it a beetle for a second. You did make one of the beetles. They're called the Paxons. <laughs> well, I gave it a five, but it's. You a mean four. you made it one of the beetles from Walk Hard? But still, <laughs> I, I, I'm Paul McCartney. I'm the leader of the Beatles. Um, I had it as a five. It's, it's a four. Yeah, give me the world building. Okay. Um, uh, Ben's just a one on world building. Yeah, some about wormholes. I don't know. Um, Har Harakis 5 Picard says leisure activities are a normal part of life on Enterprise and I from what I've seen that's true everyone's got yeah. a lot of hobbies they seem to have plenty of off time whatever it the ship's like three quarters empty so they can there's a lot of space for activities. They definitely got the space, and they must not be working crazy long shifts or anything, because everyone's always enjoying themselves pretty, pretty well. Uh, whatever a T-Tori star is, uh, you can find wormholes near it from time to time. But not M-Class planets. Yes. That's so unusual that everyone cancels all your compels him to go look at it. <laughs> yep. Only Geordi and Data are capable of changing the ship's clock, bro. 
That's... They have there's more security around the ship's clock than any other system, as far as I can tell. I think that's true, and I, I just sat there for and a minute. You going, know what the fuck? You know that anyone can just walk up to Worf's console and fire the phasers, <laughs> yes, because a crazy lady is gonna do that later. Yeah, it's true. That crazy lady that Data knows. <laughs> it's just a friend of Data's for sure. Um. Anyway, um. It looks like these aliens had two problems. One, <laughs> data. Yep. It's not good. You didn't do a good job at falsifying all the shit or whatever. And number two was Troy. Uh, having contact with them made her Betazoid brain go crazy. Or maybe it yeah. would be like that for anyone. I don't know. Yeah, it's unclear if anyone else would have this PTSD. It's unclear, actually, that they chose her because she's telepathic. They didn't say. No one says that. They don't. It just happens to her. It could just be that someone wanted to make her a mom again. It happened to her twice. It's very similar to that scene. Yep. Uh, but anyway, she was used as a fucking radio, and then she went crazy. Um, uh, the Paxons, xenophobes with broad script-based powers, <laughs> including... Can erase everybody's memory down to the fucking second so that they all only remember running into the weird thing, falling unconscious, and waking up. That's it. Um, it's a two for me. Uh, I give it the standard three. We have a wormhole stun effect. Obviously, Data is lying. But when he says the wormhole stun effect was particularly severe, no one says, I've never heard of that. <laughs> yep. Uh, two light years represents a day's travel. Transporter trace dating. Chronometer security. Oh, yeah, all the clues. And uh, I guess despite everything <laughs> so far, Data's experimental status in the Federation. Because if it turns out he's a liar, Picard <laughs> is sure he's going to be taken apart. <laughs> He well, just be punished. You know, he, uh, as a space lawyer, has the authority to take back everything he said in that courtroom. Oh, yeah. He's just going to recant all of that. Uh, Philip, I've changed my mind. It's not a slavery thing anymore. Nope. Now it's about him being property and he's property. So let's forget all those implications. We got to find out why he lied to me. Yeah. Ben's a three for characterization. Yes. He says, uh, Riker's not good at Tai Chi. Do you think Whoopi wanted to show off her gams? I, Sogawa. I sent you a screenshot of Riker doing Tai Chi. Uh-huh. Well, he had his leg way up in the air. It's a crazy way to start that episode. It is. Uh, Picard is exercising his patience much more than he usually would, etc. Um, for me, uh, Picard and Data are both pretty good. Yeah. If you assume that Picard kind of has amnesia about brothers and is giving Data a little too much credit and leeway. Yeah. Like, he trusts Data uh, in the beginning to way too large an extent, given how recently Data impersonated him and took over the ship. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Jordy gets a good scene trying to get Data to open up. He also gets to be sad in the observation lounge when he has to give up the lie. Uh, Crusher's a bloodhound in a way that sets the stage for a later episode. Mm. It's also consistent with her character. Troy is a psychic vessel for aliens who leave behind nothing but torment as usual. <laughs> She's got a, she always has a rough time when the aliens leave. And uh, Riker's just mad about stuff all the time. 
and O'Brien hates his wife. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag, and what a waste of a whoopee day. Mm-hmm. I gave it a four. Okay. Mostly on the strength of Picard and Data. Yep, I also gave it a four. Um, Guinan and Picard are closer than friendship and closer than family. Which mm-hmm. means she awkwardly goes and plays Dixon Hill with him, but she doesn't want to. Yes. And then again, she disappears from the episode, despite likely being fucking useful in exactly this kind of scenario. It does seem like one where you'd want Guinan around. She's got, you know what? Janeway would love her because she knows when some main right. <laughs> that is true. Um, Janeway would also love Pell Underhill. It's true. We had a whole fucking theory that everyone thinks is dumb. Data puts a lot of thought into bothering people on the holodeck. Straight fucking patches the call into the old rotary phone. He makes it much more confusing for everyone that way. (laughs) Because he has to get the secretary involved. That's right. Oh, God. Okay. Data immediately starts giving him way too much detail on all the answers. Most people would give themselves away like that, but Data always does it. Which made my question, is he always lying? Uh, That's a very good point, because he does talk like that all the time. Yeah. Uh, He's not good at this whole cover-up thing. He uses his version of sass when he tells Picard, I know the way, sir. When he has, when Picard wants to have him escorted. Mm -hmm. He gives him a, I know the way, sir. He's got emotions, for sure. Picard uh, really does rely on Data, huh? Should we go back for that M-Class planet? Data says no, so I'm cool. Yep. Like, didn't even wait for anyone else to answer. Uh, He also says he's never known Data to tell a lie, but I don't think that can be true. Um, He plunges the ship into possible danger in order to clear Data's name. Alyssa Ogawa knows not to mess with any of Crusher's experiments. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what... going to switch. I wonder what happened the last time somebody fucked with her shit. Because Ogawa's like, I know better. I, I wouldn't do that. I don't know if the word microaggression existed in... It probably did by 1992 or whenever this was filmed. But, uh... But woof. That was tough to watch. She's hey, not good to Ogawa, huh? You've been messing with my experiments? Huh? No, 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 doctor. I would never. I know. I. She says I know better. I know better than to than to mess with any of your experiments. Again, Riper, Riker, Groppler zorned that M class planet so hard. As soon as he uh, like heard that there was something wrong with that M class planet, he went, "Nah, not on my watch." His one skill is activated, and it sets the whole thing in motion. Uh, Jordy is there to throw Data under the bus, but don't worry, everybody already saw that Data was compromised. Yeah. Troy once again refuses to go to sickbay. She fucking hates Beverly, huh? It's gotta, like, there must have been a time when they were doing some stretches, and she thought, this is a safe space, and she said something she shouldn't have. Like, maybe she did have a sex dream about Picard, and then... <laughs> yep, and then it fucking came out of Wesley's mouth one just, day. all of a sudden, ice cold. <laughs> well, she, we know she didn't want to do anything with her in the episode where she lost her powers. And she, uh, she didn't want to yell at her about the extra five minutes it took her to get to her quarters. <laughs> and then she, she definitely didn't want to do anything on the Doubt episode. She didn't want to go there. 
And this one, she once again doesn't want to go down there. But Worf doesn't want to go either. So, again, was it his season one issues popping up where he doesn't want to rely on anybody? Or maybe Crusher? I mean, it's... It's also his season one season one issues where he killed a Romulan and she's very disappointed. <laughs> Maybe she just sucks though. I mean, she theoretically fixed his wrist and it still hurt like hell. So, uh, back to Troy. She can only sleep in a sexy off the shoulders number and after her hair has been embiggened. <laughs> yep. Her fucking sleep outfits are wild. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, Everyone's motivations were cool, but nobody really covered themselves in, in glory in this episode. I don't disagree. Do you have some quick hitters? I do, I do. Um, <clears throat> like Ben said, not sure why we needed the close-up of Whoopi's thighs in this scene, but okay. They, like, <laughs> give us a real weird zoom on, like, her fucking garters or whatever when she's being yeah. Gloria from Cleveland, and I didn't understand what that was for. Worst actor candidate, Pat Stu, doing that crazy accent. <laughs> Come on, Gloria. It's pretty bad. Uh, the writing in Dixon Hill gets worse every time they visit that world. Pat Stu said the name of the episode in scene one and then many, many, many more times. What do you suppose Cleveland is like in 2370? I bet it's okay. (laughs) They probably have the burning river under control and all of that, you know? (laughs) Somehow Whoopi knew to say that she was from Cleveland, and I wonder what that meant to her. That's a very good question. She may have have been to Cleveland in the 1900s or... (laughs) Oh, that's true. We don't know when she... We know when she left Earth. I don't think we do. So she may have have thoughts about Cleveland, frankly. Yeah. Um, maybe not a dialogue monster, but a line delivery monster. Alyssa, could you get me the... Oh, never mind, I'll get it. It <laughs> yeah. was, like, the worst delivery I've fucking seen out of that actress in this show. And then she has to walk in there and find her weird moss. But she does not give herself time to let that line work. Yep. And also, Gase McFadden's wig in this episode is a real checkoff wig. <laughs> it is wild in this episode. Her hair fluctuates wildly. Yeah. So. Today's version of the good advice, stay away from the exploding panel. Have a technician work on data under your instruction. Jordy. He has the strength of ten men and he's crazy. Yeah. Look, don't stand next to him. Yeah, don't just crane over him. <laughs> Waiting for him to pull your whole throat out. <laughs> You're just like leaning over him real softly going, something's wrong with you, Data. Why don't you want to tell me the truth? Data, you know you can tell me anything. We're buddies. I don't know you if... made a razor for me. <laughs> I don't know if he heard from Worf about his broken wrist and how his theory was Data did. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, I guess this is like the first power play, Troy. Because uh, the idea that Troy with a deep voice is creepy and is definitely taken for a test drive here. She fucking smashed Worf against the fucking ground or whatever. I would have loved to see O'Brien come to the bridge at that fucking moment and pretend an alien was in him. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Let's get the Japanese botanist too. Let's make her finally shut up. 
Um, on our advanced planet, no one gets married. <laughs> we we are uh, too advanced for your petty marriage, and we'll crush you for it. And the other alien's like, I don't know what's happening. He's not with us. I don't know him. Um, fucking every week, Worf puts some alien over. He went down like a little turd this time. <laughs> Pain don't hurt, Worf. Come on. This you is got a, a whole roll. You got a job to do. He just lays there with his broken wrist. <laughs> he looks so sad. Uh, Picard gets caught on the bridge joking around in this situation. He goes, well... Here we are again, all smiling and shit. And then the lady goes, your ship must be destroyed. And he puts yep. his hands up and goes, no, wait. Hold on. Like, dude, try to play it cool. This isn't the time for the jokes. I know you're always fucking cracking wise on the bridge, Captain Picard, but damn. <clears throat> um, I think we talked about everything else. <laughs> what about you? Uh, how lame would it be to get the role of Dixon Hill's fake secretary? And she keeps coming back for it. This is like the third or fourth time we've seen her. It's actually not the worst. The next character in the Dixon Hill scene, we never even get to see his face. He's just in his shadow the whole time. <laughs> With his fucking Chicago gangster accent. Oh, man. Uh, Picard recognizes a 48 Packard looking out the window. <laughs> How many times has he gone playing Dixon Hill? It's, uh, I was going to say he's a real TP-level expert on 20th century automobiles. Yeah. Uh, or I don't do, know. You think that, do you think that he got like a Chiron to said 48 Packard? <laughs> like Grand Theft Auto? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know how, much, how many times did we have to play Grand Theft Auto before we started to recognize the Stallion or whatever out there on the road. I mean, it takes a while. <laughs> he's played that much. Oh, uh, 39 wormholes have been detected around T-Tori-type stars? Yeah, that's okay. Let's just roll up on one of them stars. Like, it's no big deal. Let's not take any precautions. They didn't appear to take any, for sure. Uh, Picard just lets sketchy people walk free all the time to save face. Like, hey, Data, we know you know the way to engineering. Do you not understand what's happening here? Do you not understand that you are a suspect? (laughs) That I'm not just going to let you walk to engineering? I don't know how many times in a drama I've heard somebody shake off a guard and go, I know the way. But I yeah. I really don't know how Data knew to do that. How many dramas has he seen? He's been studying the human condition. I guess that's true. I'm surprised he didn't go to, to fucking Dixon Hill with Picard. Like he, uh, I mean, it's the episodes him and... Why wasn't he in that? That's a very good question. The episode is about well, him. Because if he had been in it, he would know the importance of not leaving clues. <laughs> That's true that he wouldn't have done such a bad job. He would have done too good a job. <laughs> he would have grabbed too, uh, too small a slice. <laughs> uh, this mirror scene is very bad and dumb. Uh, yeah, it is. Hey, I thought I had a note about that. It wasn't me, Worf. It was my face, but it wasn't me. Where's my note? I have a big note. Did I put that in the wrong episode? Did I pull a Ben? (laughs) (laughs) I have to control F my document. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I have it. um... No, I have it here. I wonder why I didn't read it. I looked it in the mirror, and it seemed a stranger was staring back at me from behind my own eyes, as if my face was a mask. 
Those are clearly lyrics Troy's workshopping. I think so. Thank you. All right. Sorry about that. Uh, too slow to be a photon torpedo. Oh, and also that's a bunch of spilled antifreeze and not a starship. <laughs> what the fuck would it be a photon torpedo, Riker? Sometimes the shit he says makes sense because he's never looking at anything. He's never looking at his panel. He's never looking at the view screen. He's always just looking right at Picard. So maybe he's watching Picard and just trying to catch his attention. Hey, I think I know what it is. Hey, it's not a photon torpedo. I know one thing it's not. I know that. I can tell. Uh, This entity entered Troy's sleeping body, got dressed, and then went to see Data. Yeah, because she sits up in her off-the-shoulder number. Yeah, you mentioned her sleep outfit, but he shows up in her purple jumpsuit. <sighs> like, woke up, looked at the thing, and said, oh, I can't I can't go like this. Oh, everyone will look at me. The weird aliens are back, but I can't walk the halls like this. Oh, and I told my team I'd be done here in a few minutes. No. <laughs> hey, uh, I solved it. If these aliens erased everyone's memory... And gave the whole crew, like, 24-hour diarrhea. Then (laughs) no one would be bothered about any clues. They'd all be distracted by the time they were far away from that place. They'd all be, like, just trying, just gripping the edge of their consoles. And they'd be like, what? The probe's a different planet? I don't care. (laughs) And I love that that would go down in the record books as a symptom of going through a wormhole. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, we went through an unstable wormhole and everybody got bad diarrhea. There's only one toilet on the bridge. It was a bad time. (laughs) Yeah, people were, like, going to auxiliary decks and shit, like fucking unpopulated I'm gonna decks. work from the battle bridge for a while <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna take this one from my quarters forever that would be a symptom my possible symptoms of going through a wormhole include the fucking wild shits <laughs> what if you just give everyone bad diet I promise they would not be able to focus on clues <laughs> uh, if only they'd spent more time workshopping it instead of trying to get out of that episode in 13 seconds yeah <laughs> I gave uh, Best Actor to Disappointed Jordy and Worst Actor to Pax and Troy. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, all right, that's two down. It sure is. Uh, in second place last week was Deep Space Nine. This week we watched Accession. Ben's pick of the week. Great. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. You read my brain. I wanted that to come back a second time. It was great going into the Ben uh, Ben's (laughs) pick of the week section, and then I was afraid it wasn't going to lead into the music. You just love that one first farty note. <laughs> it's very, it's like a bad note. As, as it's just as by itself, as one note, it's bad. All right. Uh, let's see. God, I might have to do A plot, B plot on this. Oh, Jesus. God, do I have to? Yeah, I think I do. All right. Uh, Kira, I'm going to start with this plot. Kira brings in a couple of Bajoran crew who want Cisco's wedding blessing, at, you know, as the emissary. Uh, because it's TV, just as Cisco voices his continued discomfort with being a religious icon, <laughs> a crazy old ship comes through the wormhole, and in the infirmary, we find that the passenger on that ship uh, claims to be the emissary. You see how TV works? 
Yep. Credits. Uh, the emissary describes an encounter he had with the wormhole aliens or prophets or whatever 200 years ago, but he thinks it just happened. Like he just left home in his weird light ship, light sail ship. Uh, but guess what? He also says he's one of Bajor's greatest poets. Akorum Lon? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cisco tells Dax all of the prophecies speak more clearly about this guy than they ever did about him. And he's going to step aside and let Akorum be the emissary. Uh, I mean, the guy actually wants the job, he says, and Starfleet never liked Cisco being a religious icon anyway. Yeah, well, they wouldn't. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing they'd be into, although... It's a tough one. It probably makes it pretty hard for them to replace him. Like, it's part of the answer as to why he's still in command there. I think it must be, but also, it depends on how much they care about Bajor getting into the Federation, right? Because you'd think, if he's the emissary, that's probably a slam dunk. (laughs) I mean, it seems like it. And we do see in this episode, as soon as he is not the emissary, that is very much in jeopardy. Um, Akorum gives an address from the uh, station, saying it's time to go back to the stupid old caste system. Where you were born as a farmer, and you were a farmer for life, and all that shit. You know, the good old days. Um, lots of Bajorans, including Kira, look bummed out. Uh, in a private meeting, this guy says... A private meeting with Cisco. This guy says, uh, if you go against your caste, you'll be considered a criminal and, like, I don't know, deported or something. Uh, Cisco breaks it to him that the Federation is not going to be in to that idea. Uh, the caste-based discrimination... And the guy says, yeah, I know. Me and Kai Win, we, we're totally cool with that. <laughs> we decided we don't need the fucking Federation. So, you know, if you had any uh, doubts. She, just, she said something about the Klingons mined the area outside of Bajoran <laughs> space last week. I don't know what that meant. I don't care. Yeah. If you had any doubts about this guy, we don't anymore now that he's working with Kai Win. Um, he feels Cisco's paw. You know, he touches his earlobe. That still seems like a fake idea. And um, <laughs> says he understands why Wynn fears him. Cisco and Kira are in the replement, and a lady, like, gives up her seat to Kira because Kira comes from a way cooler cast than her. Um, anyway, Cisco and Kira chat for a bit, and then Cisco can't sleep, and he gets back into his uniform and everything to, like, roam the halls. And he runs into, like, a Kaiopaka ghost. Who says he no longer knows himself. It's kind of a version of you know what you have to do. It is a lot like that, but he doesn't go to immediately try and ice himself. No, he didn't know what he had to do yet. Bashir calls it an orb shadow when he's he's checking Cisco out. I guess that's something that the Bajorans say happens when you are um, not doing what the prophets want you to do. Um... Anyway, Cisco jokes that just means he's got too many neuropeptides in his brain and walks out. Kira can't sculpt a bird. And no. It's bumming her out because she's supposed to be from an artist cast. No, so she assumed she'd be good at it on her first day. And the Vedic that she talks to it about talks to about this fucking thing points out that she should have started with something easier, like maybe a square or something. <laughs> yeah. Also, though, he does say that it's her fault. She's not committed enough. Look, she's still wearing her uniform and working on the station. Yep. Yeah, he tells her she needs to give herself over to the new way of life. Um, 
Cisco tells Kira he's in deep shit with Starfleet over this caste system bullcrap. <laughs> he also says he thinks he's failed in his mission on DS9 as well. Then Kira breaks the news that she's heading home to be an artist and he's gonna need to get a new first officer. This makes him pretty upset. Well, stuff gets fucking worse. <laughs> Vedic Porta, that guy she was just talking to who said she didn't commit he, herself? He does a murder! He was a real insano! He killed a guy because he wouldn't resign his position from the clergy or whatever and go back to being a undertaker or fucking... I mean, I don't know what his job is. He said he handled dead bodies. Yeah. Well, his cast did, for sure. Yeah. So he fucking killed this guy. <laughs> he fucking pushed him off the promenade and killed him. And then he goes, I did it. Yeah, I'm the one who killed him. He was he wouldn't he wouldn't do the thing I just said. It was like, oh my god, this guy just admitted it. Uh Cisco gets grumpy with the new emissary and says, Well, I want my old job back now. And this guy is so convinced he's really the emissary that he agrees to go into the wormhole alone with Cisco and uh-huh. talk to the prophets about it. Uh, the prophets told me, uh, <laughs> you know what? The prophets sent him back to his own time, it's, and I'm the emissary now. That's uh, I wrote here before I've seen I this. definitely didn't beam him into space in the Gamma Quadrant. <laughs> that sounds like a setup for an accident from which this guy would never return, so he must be sure he's protected by the prophets. Anyway, the prophets do come out and talk to him, but they look at this new guy like, bro, we sent you back because we were sick of you. Not because you're, like, speaking for us. Please kindly eat one. <laughs> but it's Cisco's urging. They say It's even worse than that. They tell him they sent him back for the Cisco. <laughs> this guy got sent forward in time, never saw his family again, yep. so that Ben Cisco could get serious about emissary. <laughs> he could get over his... I don't know. You didn't like having two jobs, I think is what it was. <laughs> yeah, but it's Cisco's urging they send him back to his own time. A quorum lawn should have shouted, That sucks! <laughs> <laughs> that would have been pretty good, actually. <laughs> That's some fucking cold shit! <laughs> but it's... Uh, so Cisco really will have to convince people now that he didn't straight throw him out, out of the fucking runabout out there in the wormhole well luckily this guy this guy's one speech has been pretty unpopular so (laughs) everyone seems pretty relieved anyway he chats with kira who's cool with whatever happened out there she did tell him earlier she'd do whatever he wants as emissary so um no surprise she's not worried about what happened to that guy and then they find out that a quorum went back and finished all his poems that were unfinished previously and lived happily ever after, but also everyone remembers that he didn't. So, what's time? And how do the prophets work? Cisco gets asked to do another Bajoran ceremony, but now he's real into it. I guess because the wormhole aliens told him he is of Bajor. And that's the episode. What was this DS9 no, about? No, no, the B-plot. Oh, I forgot all about that because it is nothing. All right, Bashir and O'Brien <laughs> rush back from the hollow suites to clean up O'Brien's quarters before Keiko comes back for the first time in, let me check my notes, a year? I guess, listen, oh. she's moving back in. Okay. It's not just that this is the first time he's seen her in a year because he does not immediately ask an incense, an indelicate question. Who's <laughs> the father? Yeah, fucking year, I guess. Anyway... Keiko is pregnant, which means O'Brien won't be getting any, is what it sounds like. 
he does seen... seem to be his first major complaint, and his yeah. second major complaint is he's not going to get to um, play that Monty Python sketch anymore. That's right. In the holodeck. On the way back from his shift, uh, Bashir catches O'Brien and takes him to Quark's to celebrate his new baby, but he's kind of down about being a dad again. Then Molly totally cock blocks him when he's trying to, <laughs> when he's trying for twins. Oh God! With Keiko, fucking goddamn it, Star Trek. He looks wistfully at his nasty old coat that he wears to the Hollow Suites with Bashir. Then he meets Bashir for a drink at Quark's, where. Bashir tries to spring a hollow sweet visit on him. Like like secret lovers or something. Just like one last time we could go to the hollow sweet. Back in his quarters, O'Brien settles in for a night of doing nothing while Keiko works. Which is a feeling I know. But Keiko does a real winking. Julian misses you so much, you better go cheer him up. And then she calls Bashir and does the same thing to him so they can hang out again. That's the B plot. Boy, that's not much B plot, huh? That's the B plot. (laughs) A lot more A plot this week. There was a series of like seven scenes in a row in the A plot, and I thought they had completely abandoned the B plot, and I was glad. Yeah, it would have been just fine. And then it came back again, and I went, oh, we're doing this? God damn it. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so that's the episode. Thank you for reminding me. Um, what, uh, What was this one about? Well, Ben's take is we all have different roles in life and we have to juggle them. Cisco the captain versus Cisco the emissary, Miles the bachelor versus Miles the family man, etc. He says this seems pretty relevant. It is not, however, what the episode's about. Uh Uh-oh. The episode is about, uh, well, the, the message of the episode is leave the past where it belongs. Okay. There are definitely other angles here about faith and prejudice and how quickly a person can come to believe that they're superior or inferior by right of birth. But ultimately the prophets telling a quorum that things in the past can't be reclaimed and Cisco having him sent back to his own time anorak style make me think that this is supposed to be an anti-reactionary episode. Okay. Which is good because you know, there's at least one writer on this staff who has argued that women had it better before they entered the workplace. Oh yes. Yep. Yes. Um, so this is just, uh, this guy comes forward. He, the first change he hears about from the way things were 200 (laughs) years ago becomes his, uh, that must be why I'm here. (laughs) That's my entire purpose is to return people to the way it was. And if we just went back to the caste system, all of the problems would be solved and it would be like the Cardassian occupation never happened. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the, this episode is, uh, is anti that concept so yes uh, i like the anti-reactionary take i gave it as many as six okay it just occurred to me while you were talking about that i think it's becoming clear why they're so like they're getting more and more into cisco inside the wormhole because the more dudes they meet the more like corporeal dudes they meet the more they realize that they suck and yeah. cisco is comparatively so cool Everybody they meet who's not Cisco, they're like, what is this, though? What is it? I mean, it? It, is, it is definitely the case that in the emissary, Cisco was like, yeah, let's rap about time. <laughs> He's totally into it. chair backwards. Yeah. He's totally into it, and he doesn't have a freak out, and he carefully and calmly explains all these concepts to them, like rapid fire. And they're like, cool, cool, that was pretty neat. But then everyone else they meet is a real piece of crap. So... 
they thought this guy would be decent and he'd be able to go back and work with Cisco. I mean, this guy had the confidence of a poet. Yes, he did. The confidence of someone who writes a poem and believes that the world needs to hear it or know about it. Yes, that's right. Uh, because he for sure, like, if if Cisco had just said Kira will bring you up to speed and not Major Kira that second time, yeah, my, my first officer, who knows what this idiot would have seized on. Would have, like... God, yeah, would have fucking seen the Klingon restaurant and been like, "We only eat hospirat." We've yeah, we've forsaken our culinary values. <laughs> we must go back to eating like Bajorans. We have to change the way we eat. This guy straight up tells them that he didn't talk to the prophets. <laughs> Did you catch that? No, I thought he, had, I thought he must have. They healed no, him. They and he healed knew about him. it. And he says, you've spoken to the prophets. And he says, no. <laughs> but why else? It, it all matches the prophecy. I'm the emissary. Oh, wow. I didn't realize they hadn't even talked to this douche. Oh, okay. He didn't talk. They appeared. They looked like his friends and family. But I guess they didn't talk about him being the emissary. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's why I assumed he talked to them. Because he described that they came to him as his friends and family. I'm so confused. Um, well, anyway, I had the Cisco take. Um, I had, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Cause he's like, thank God I can get this off my fucking plate. This thing that I have to do that I hate. Cause I don't even like to in my first job. And then as soon as that's gone, he's like, ah, oh, fuck. This guy's even worse at it than I am. <laughs> I have to fix it. And now... And well, then by listen, the end, he's supposed to be like big into being of Bajor or whatever. It turns out that being the emissary is a fucking ton like being the coach of the Oakland A's. The less you do, the better. That's right. He is a really good emissary because he mostly stays out of it. I give that a five. It's just a down the middle, whatever, truism. Um, Execution. Cisco in the end realizes he really does want to be emissary. But it isn't clear if it's because he got in trouble with Starfleet or because everything was suddenly changing around him, including losing Kira, or because he doesn't like the job the new guy was doing with it, or if it's because the prophets told him his business. We don't really understand the motivation that in the end he's like, I like this job now. Um, it's just a collection of outside stimuli that made him have to reclaim the role. So that's not the strongest stance. Um, I wouldn't believe, based on this episode, that Cisco will still be a happy camper as emissary next week. Like, once everything dies down, he's still going to be trying to avoid that Bajoran shit all day, right? I would think so, and it seems like it's probably only going to get worse because... I mean, who knows how this is all going to spin on Bajor. I'm sure there are going to be some people who do think he murdered him in the wormhole. How could you not? Or whatever, but like for everyone else, it's going to be like ah, now Cisco's on the true path. Now he went back and talked to the prophets and came back and said, "Okay, I am the emissary." Well, yeah, and we've seen from twenty twenty that there are people who will line up on either side of an issue, regardless of how much sense it makes. But you know what would be a better story than the one that he told, where that he went to with the guy to visit the prophets, and the prophets said that I was the emissary, and they sent him back to his own time. 
A better story than that is I never saw him. I don't know who that guy. What? Who? A Col- I never wasn't the emissary. I don't know what you're talking about. Who are you going to believe? The murder priest? I never saw him is a way more believable story than the one that he tells. Yeah, people are going to freak out about the three-day emissary they had. Um, let's see. Um, the O'Brien plot. Why? <laughs> Because they've decided to reintroduce Keiko, I guess. And I think that they decided to reintroduce Keiko for a reason that we don't know yet. Oh, yeah. Well, that could be, right? I guess she has to be around in order to do the thing she's going to do. In order to do the important thing that's coming up. Did you do any research on this one? Did it say that anywhere? Or is that just... Nah, it was was not in there at all. Like, in the episode where Keiko goes to Bajor, they were like, yeah, we just kind of wanted to uh, give Miles and Bashir a chance to become friends. But they just didn't say dick about it this time. Okay. Yeah, but that makes sense, though. Um, Anyway, most of this episode feels like filler. It does serve the purpose of bringing Cisco closer to the wormhole aliens and to Bajor. So it's not a total throwaway. Like, it has some series development, but it's... It's mostly a, why, why are we doing this? What's this for? Um, I gave it a four. Ben gave it a seven. Um, well, this is his pick of the week. Yes. Yeah. He gave it a seven. Some stuff I picked out. Uh, he guess, he says, I guess those light ships were pretty common 200 years ago because we've seen them previously to this. Putting a cast system back is a, a pretty good way to consolidate power quickly, which is a neat little con. I yep, mean, all of the new priests are going to back him for sure. Yep. Uh, isn't everyone going to think Cisco killed the guy and dumped his body in the wormhole, which is actually sort of what happened? <laughs> yes. Well, I guess if everybody remembers that some of those poems were unfinished and now they are finished, well, that's probably that's probably going to sell it. His right? poems this is probably Bezor's most never, famous poet. Yeah, his poems have probably never been more popular than now, so I imagine a lot of people are going to notice the difference. Yeah, a lot of people are going to be like, huh, uh, in my paper book of his poems that i had yesterday this was unfinished and now it's finished and the book is a little bigger also in the forward so it says it wasn't i finished. guess it kind of i guess it kind of does make sense that he went back yeah in the forward yeah, the, why would the forward change it's in the forward it said he never finished because um he he disappeared in space uh so i guess i guess maybe he did go back god the fucking wormhole aliens <sighs> At the end, they all recognize the change in history that has happened, but everything's the same. Yeah, it's a fucking dragon break or whatever. Um, I'm a five. Okay. The uh, the A plot, I thought, was reasonably strong. Cisco doesn't want to be the emissary, which is exactly why the prophet sent him a quorum. Mm-hmm. And he takes up the mantle despite the conflict with his Starfleet life. There are a couple of whoopsies here, though. Why do we need this creepy Vedic when we have Kai Wynn? <laughs> right, you've already mentioned her. Once you have the specter of Kai Wynn, what's Vedic Porta gonna do? Murder a guy! Kai Opaka back for this one. You oh. couldn't get Kai Wynn? Yeah, it's weird. Um, That's another like thing. You could have anyone else do the cast murder. It doesn't need to be that Vedic character. It doesn't have to be Kai Wynn. I mean, you could have Kai Wynn as the antagonist. And then just some and then And just a rando does a murder, right? And then also, Akoram was a poet. Right. Mm. So he must have been part of the artist cast. 
and there was definitely a priestly cast before. Yeah. Why is that never mentioned? How come no one says, well, I don't know, then shouldn't you not be the emissary? <laughs> That's right. If these casts are so important, why wouldn't it be a priest? Yeah, and also he talks about how Shakar will have to give up his post as first minister and go back to whatever right. he's supposed to be doing. And it's like, Armor. well, then why wouldn't you have to give up yours? It's confusing. Yeah. The B-plot is O'Brien missing his bachelor life, yeah. and um, while it's a nice reintroduction of Keiko, he really comes off like a dumb teenager. Yeah. And I realized that O'Brien is probably in universe only supposed to be your age. <laughs> Don't stop saying right? that. Isn't no. He, isn't he crazy young? <laughs> he is younger than we thought he could possibly have been, but we were talking about in TNG. This is some years later. I yeah. looked it up. He's 40 in this episode. Okay, cool. So my age. Uh yes. anyway, he looks like he's fucking 50 and this shit <laughs> in this this week is so juvenile and sitcom It really so, is. Good A plot, bad B plot, uh, mixed bag. I gave it five. Okay. Uh, world building. Uh, tractor beam range is farther than transporter range, if I understand the way they bring him in. Use the tractor beam to bring him into transporter range, Cisco says. Yeah, that's, I mean, yes, he does say that. Yeah, huh. That doesn't quite feel right to me, but I guess I don't know. I don't know either. It doesn't, you're right, it doesn't feel right. Um, we learn about the Dajaras, uh, a lot of stuff about the Dajaras, orb yeah. shadows, the prophets say over and over again that they are of Bajor, and they announce that Cisco is of Bajor. Yeah. There's some timeline shenanigans. We learn about Bajoran quinceañeras. Uh, the nature of the prophets and Cisco is pretty tantalizing. Mm -hmm. The caste system is a nice taste of Bajor. So there's nothing earth-shaking here, world-building-wise, at least not yet, but there are a bunch of nice touches. Oh, also, they remembered what happened in the episode Disaster, so mm -hmm. I uh, I gave it as many as five for world-building. I was in complete agreement. I gave it a five. Um, 9174 on the Bajoran calendar was over 200 years ago. Um, all this about the Jaras. Let's see. Cisco says Starfleet never liked him being the emissary, but I think they'd appreciate how much more influence their effort to get Bajor in the Federation would have based on that fact. And then, of course, that's how it plays out in this episode. Vedic Porta, one of the 50 or so Vedics on DS9 alone? <laughs> this guy is not the one who's the best, uh... Fuck. Oh, this came up last week. Some spring Vedic ball? The best spring ball player yeah. on the station. This is what I'm I don't saying. think it was Porta. Every week there's a new Vedic. Are they just like constantly shuttling back and forth from Beige or are, do they feel like they need all these Vedics just for DS9? I'm confused. They got all it. that church money and they're constantly <laughs> using it to go on trips up to Deep Space Nine to fuck in Quark's hollow suites. I was going to say, there's only one thing up there they ain't got on fucking Beige or, and it's the hollow suites. Yeah, they got nice gardens and shit down there. It's the Hollow Sweets, right? Oh, God, those fucking Vedics. Is the Hollow Sweets and maybe an actual alien? Yeah, maybe. I mean, if they. Maybe they come up there to get some, some real strange. My guess is they don't have the courage to go through with that part very often. Probably not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask one of those under. No, I couldn't ask an under boob. I, I don't have that in me. I'm just going to the Hollow Sweet. <laughs> Fuck Kira. She's on the. She's one of the programs. <laughs> that program's still there. <laughs> Sometimes um, she has Quark's head, but whatever. <laughs> it's still new to me. Oh, it's all new to me. See, <laughs> um, Brock acquire, acquire, Brock acquire. Um, 
Sounds like diapers are largely unchanged in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but you just put it in the replicator, so it's not... It's like not... You can make them out of plastic and all that. It's not a big environmental issue. Right, yes. You um, can make... The diapers probably work a lot better because you could just make them out of anything. Let's see. These wormhole aliens are tired of talking about time, but they seem to have learned the concept, okay, from Cisco. And again, they're really hung up on him. Um, again, everything about a quorum going back to his own time. I don't know how that's supposed to work. Yeah, like you said, lots of Bajoran business in this one and stuff about the prophets and Cisco's role in the story being affirmed, I guess, in a way, um, mm-hmm. makes this a valuable world building episode. So I, I gave it a five. And uh, what about characterization? Uh, oh, real quick, Ben gave it a three on world building. Oh, okay. um, and he gives it a five on characterization. He says, Keiko didn't tell Miles that she was pregnant or could be pregnant. What the fuck? That's not really one of those things you surprise your spouse with. Um, well, she knew he wouldn't handle it well. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Did you know he'd she go was into really put? She's really putting it off in case she had a hard fall or just a natural miscarriage <laughs> and then it would never have to come up. That's right, you never know. Go get lucky. I wonder if she knew he was going to go into a real sullen fucking funk. He's only got two moods. Oh, sullen that's, and drunk. That's the good one, then. Um, O'Brien and Bashir are best buds now. O'Brien is disappointed that Keiko was pregnant because they won't be doing as much fucking as he hoped. All, from this episode, we gather all O'Brien wants to do is fucking pal around. I mean, I get it. Bashir tries to replace O'Brien with Morn, and I get that. Yeah. <laughs> that seems about right. Who's the most O'Brien guy left in this room now that he's got Morn? It's for sure Morn. Yeah, it's Morn. I just took one look around. It's Morn. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of pack leads apparently, that are always coming and going on Deep Space <laughs> yeah, Nine, but guys... I guess none of them stay. Yeah, if they'd been around, they'd be a good hang. You know who I'd choose? <laughs> the Klingon restaurateur slash concertina player if he didn't leave when all the shit went down with the Klingons. I would try to figure out if there was an amount of alcohol that guy needed to have in him to play that thing good for me. Yeah, man, play me that concertina again. I love it. Try to keep him in that zone. Yeah. Um, Cisco's practice is paying off and his accent is improving. Again, I don't understand how the universal translator works. That's a very good question. But he's still not totally comfortable. Maybe it's rude to give a blessing using the universal translator. <laughs> he has to turn it off. Yeah. Um, He's still not totally comfortable being a religious icon. Though the line wasn't delivered all that well, I like Cisco's line about how he... Now all he has to worry about is the Klingons, the Dominion, and the Maquis. Feels like he's yeah. on vacation. It's true. It could have been delivered better. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't think he's much of a comedic actor. Um, no, except for the comedy of his enthusiasm about clocks. <laughs> I wonder if he thought he was doing some deep psychological shit. It's a good question. Cisco makes a very bad analogy about how Kira's higher caste status is like when he was so cool he was promoted to lieutenant before all his buddies <laughs> and they all had to call him <laughs> sir. What? Dax should have walked by right then and gone, lame. <laughs> yeah, cool brag. Uh, anyway, he still doesn't want to believe he's touched by the prophets even after he has the Opaka vision. By the way, Opaka vision. It's, it's the future. Shouldn't we have that by now? We should. Um... 
But various things lead him to fight to get the job back, and he seems pleased in the end. The comedy writers on this show were working overtime this week. They gave Worf that bit where he panics about Keiko's baby as a throwback <laughs> to the, the episode you mentioned earlier, where he had to deliver the first one during the cosmic string disaster. We'll see that. We'll see that one when it happens. Should be season five. Um, Odo thinks Faith is dumb, and I sympathize. Kira remains extremely spiritual despite her exposure to Starfleet and their thinly veiled anti-religious sentiments. Kira says she would have done whatever Sisko wanted when he was still emissary. And he should keep that in the back of his head for future <laughs> for future use. Yeah, he really has not been taking advantage of it. I don't think he realized that's how far it went. Does he know he could have prevented Kai Wynn from becoming Kai? <laughs> now he really wishes he had. Remember, we talked about it in that episode, how he really missed some opportunities in those late season one episodes where people were trying to do all the politics and shit. He had opportunities to do some things different. He, there was a lot of places where he could have put his thumb on the scale, for sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, Kira gets real frustrated when she can't make a cool clay bird, and it gets emotional in Cisco's office when she tells him she's quitting. Um, I gave it a five. Uh, I was just a little less rosy about it. I'm a four. I feel like Cisco should know it won't be as easy as renouncing his claim and walking away. Yeah. Like, that he's too invested already. But it kind of makes sense that he would do it anyway because he's always been, like, crazy uncomfortable about it. And he's always willing to delegate his job to somebody else. Boy, he does love to delegate. So You're if he not could wrong get, about that at all. If he could get this office plate and hand it to this guy, of course he was going to. Um, it's a little fucking wild that he could have just gone into the wormhole with Kai Wynn at any time and asked these guys... Are you the prophets? Am I the emissary? Yeah. What the fuck do I do next? And he hasn't. Hey, you he even climbs into a runabout to signal that this should have been something he did in season one. Like in season <laughs> one, episode two, he yep. should have been in a runabout going back into the fucking wormhole to be like, okay, they think I'm the fucking emissary? Yeah. Is it? <laughs> it's, you're right. He doesn't take the defiant. He takes a runabout. He does. Hey, uh, maybe she's um she's wily. Maybe she's too smart to get into a runabout with him. <laughs> Could be. She's like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere with him. She'd call him child and smile sweet sweetly while she said something mean and left. Uh, she's a good actor. It's been too long. Yeah. Kira's faith in the prophecies and her personal faith in Cisco could have been a more interesting conflict than I'm not good at art because I grew up in a fucking refugee camp. Yeah. But her announcement that there are no contradictions and that that's just how faith works, that sounded very true to me of a certain kind of believer. Yeah. Odo, Odo says to her, I mean, you were sure Cisco was the emissary two minutes ago. Yeah. Now he just, is it is it just something he can turn over to someone else? And she's like, listen, I was never wrong. That's right. What's important? The takeaway from this conversation, if you have any. Oh, no. The takeaway is that I wasn't wrong. Uh, and then I just, I'm just pleading, don't don't make O'Brien and Bashir do this missing our holodeck nights horse shit. Mm. Just, just don't, though. But they fully embraced it. They did. Uh, it's a four for me. Okay. What about quick ones? 
Yeah, I wrote some shit down. Uh, why did Keiko return on the Janolan while Star Trek the motion picture music played? <laughs> that opening scene is wild. <laughs> well, yes, it was a weird fucking melange of Star Trek stuff going on there. It's like she came from 70 years in the past with Scotty on there, too. That'd be really, that'd be great if we just saw him walk out in the background. What, um, what do you think happened all those months ago, Matt? Do you think O'Brien agreed to try to have a baby just so Keiko would touch him? A hundred percent, yes. He basically admits it. He's like, I thought it would take more practice. I thought we'd get to do more fucking. That sucks. Yeah. I wish they'd keep all this out of, I don't ever want any of this in my Star Trek. I'm not saying this shouldn't be the case, but based on what I have seen of the Federation so far, would caste-based discrimination actually be a deal breaker? We've seen some of the people they've invited. What happened on Turkana 4? <clears throat> not only that, dude, the, what's up with the Antedians and the... Soleil? And the Soleil, and the Antikins and Soleil and the Antedians. What's up with oh, any <laughs> of these aliens? That's, just a good, like, that's a good question. Bunch of good questions. Everyone's invited. It's a fucking party at my house. I'm the Federation. Everyone's invited. It's. I don't understand why they would yeah. have any rules. Cisco is dead certain that even though the Federation just agreed to cut admission time for Bajor in half, <laughs> this cast shit is going to be a dead, just an absolute deal breaker. Yeah, I, uh, I don't... What is the Federation? I don't know. Yeah. How does Cisco sleep under that bright-ass glowing headboard? They, I would have covered that shit in electrical tape day one. The sleeping scenes throughout Star Trek are some of the worst scenes. You remember the time Jordy was laying in full uniform? <laughs> yep. And he had the dream, which was <laughs> just the audio of the scene we saw earlier. <laughs> and then he got up and he knew what he had to do. But um, <laughs> just in full uniform in his visor. No, no, he wasn't wearing his visor, but he knew exactly where to find it. Yeah, he was. He did not have a problem reaching for that visor. Yeah. Ugh. Um. Want to try for twins? Feels like Ugh. the worst possible way to proposition your pregnant wife. Like that's just the nastiest way you could phrase that. I mean, honestly, I don't know why they do this. Like, we are mostly. Like sex, we're mostly sex-free in Star Trek, but then when they do it, it's always in a creepy, gross way. Like we've been watching Game of Thrones, Katie and I, oh, and there's a lot of exposition that just takes place in an active brothel <laughs> in the first few seasons, particularly. Oh, long exposition scenes while yeah. people are fucking or whatever. It's just a bunch of sex going on in the background, and it's like you you kind of get used to it. Uh, Star Trek is never gonna be sexy. No. So they should just stop trying. They really... It's just... It's never gonna remotely happen. It's Like, already, this is like the 19th time they've done a gross sex thing with Keiko and O'Brien. And I'm just... I don't want any more. I'd rather not have any. Please. I'm thinking of something in my head that's coming up pretty soon, and I'm very sad about it. Okay. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Um, Hey, when O'Brien is asking the computer where Dr. Bashir is... Is the computer answering on his comm badge, or is it getting piped through the whole promenade, just over the PA? Question we've had a million times. 
He's like, computer, locate Dr. Bashir. And then it's not at all clear where the sound is coming from when the computer answers. And it's like, he's just on the promenade. How annoying would that be if everyone on the promenade had questions for the computer? It's just fucking bleeding over everybody else's answers and shit. Even if it's just on his comm badge, that's irritating. Like, the real-life version of that is people are asking the computer what time it is and all kinds of shit all the time. Yeah. And it's just fucking, just everywhere you go on the promenade, the computer's voice is coming out of somebody's comm badge. Yeah. Very irritating. They should have earpieces, or it should just show up on a little pad they're carrying or something. Yeah. Um, This is a better scene if O'Brien and Bashir kiss at the end. The one where they talk about how Morn's not a good darts partner, Molly's not a good darts partner either. Yep. They just kissed once and then were awkward about it for a while. That'd be a better scene. Uh, another thing that doesn't occur to everybody, I already mentioned the cast thing for a quorum lawn, is that this guy could be a changeling. Yeah. He came out of the wormhole. Now, he says he was just at the Celestial Temple, but another explanation is that ship just came through from the Gamma Quadrant. Everybody takes his word for it. With a fucking changeling on board. Oh, you you know of my poems? And everyone's like, he's the real deal. No one no one says, how weird is it that like the most famous guy from that time happened <laughs> yep. to be the guy that this happened to? Well, the Vorlons were keeping him on ice. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't occur to anybody. This bishop went from zero to murder so quick. <laughs> it, I... If we didn't see the idea that the caste system was the problem occur to a quorum, if it wasn't so long before he got hooked up with this bishop, it would seem like this guy must have been pushing it behind the scenes, right? Because yeah. he wanted to murder that man. Yes. Oh, for sure. It is not the first time this guy has thought he comes from an unclean Tajara. Yeah. <laughs> he had thought I that about I that just guy. kill him. A lot, yeah. And by the way, probably would have someday. Yeah. This is such a, th- a thin, fucking flimsy excuse to kill the guy. He was probably going to kill him. Yeah. And I've said it before, but the idea that Cisco has never gone to talk to the prophets before to ask about <laughs> his status as the emissary is so, it, like, it is really problematic that Cisco just says to him, let's go talk to the prophets. And I said out loud, you can just do that? <laughs> That's right. It's a game because changer. Because if so, what the fuck? It's season four. You could have been talking to these guys all the time. You didn't say, Nicholas, this changes everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you should have gone to talk to these bitches about Kyle Baca. Right? Hey, maybe they can help get her back now that he's on a better, like he's on their wavelength, you know? Hey, she's got a virus or something that makes her die over and over again. Uh, is there something you could do about that? Can you fix her? Because, like, I'm a Bajor and you're a Bajor. And, like, mm-hmm. I think Kaiopaka was a major. So, like, I think we could fix her. I gave uh, Best Actor to that murder bishop when he talked about how that guy was from an unclean cast. I uh, That felt very real to me coming from him. <laughs> yep. I gave uh, Worst Actor to Did You Know They Almost Got David Warner to Be a Quorum? But Whoa. David Warner's wife wanted him to stay on the vacation he was on instead of working. Ah, but he could have played yet another Star Trek. He could have been. He could have been in Star Trek again as this guy. <laughs> that definitely would have been his least impressive Star Trek role. Probably, but still more impressive than when he was the scientist in Ninja Turtles too. Yes. <clears throat> uh, I forget where we are. Do you have some? It's the quick hitters. I think so. Um. 
Let's see, Ben... Ben says, anyone want odds on whether that baby is coming out with... I'm not going to read that part. And a wrinkled nose. Because she may be uh, fucked up I have, I have to... Oh. Mm. He, he implies uh, an Asian stereotype. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe she fucked up a Joran. Who the fuck knows? I mean, that was my first thought. And I think that the producers or the writers must have thought that too because they, they have to put thing. a lot of stuff in there about how it really happened. I can remember I visited you a few months ago. And remember we did it that one time? Uh, the only one I have was, can you believe they brought back Opaka for this? <laughs> it's such a waste. Uh, it's crazy. It, you know, like, we were mad that Whoopi was in only one scene in that other episode. Yeah. But, like, she's still on the show. This lady's off the show. <laughs> and they brought her back to be a ghost in, like, two scenes in this fucking garbage episode. <sighs> Poor lady. I mean, you say that, but... Uh, I'm just looking at the total so far. <laughs> this garbage yes. episode is way in the lead oh, this week. Yes, <laughs> by our rubric, it is the least shitty, but it is not a good episode. <laughs> this definitely would not be one of the exceptions to the rule 150 tied for last place or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's all I got for quick ones. Cool. Um, last week, the winner was Enterprise. Mm. This week, we watched Babel 1. Our boy Shran hmm. regains consciousness on the crippled Kumari after a Tellarite attack and is forced to give the order to abandon ship. Uh, uh, is Kumari the name of that that cat guy from Final Fantasy X? The Ronso? <laughs> Maybe that's With what the they're broken called. horn? <laughs> sure. I mean, he's a Kimari, but yeah, oh, it's pretty okay, close. Kimari. Okay, sorry. Kimari is his name. Uh, Hoshi and Archer are having a fake argument to prepare Archer for his meeting with the aggressive Tellarite ambassador, who apparently is just like that guy Wesley bumped into. <laughs> you you gotta if they're sassy, you gotta sass them back. That's the rules. <laughs> then they'll go, friend. I like you. <laughs> uh, Enterprise is ferrying the Tellarite uh, ambassador to the neutral world of Babel where human negotiators are going to attempt to ease trade disputes with the Andorians. Matt, it's never said, are the human negotiators already on Babel? Are they on the Enterprise and we just never check in with them because they're not in the story? <laughs> I don't know. It's possible they're already on Babel and we've got like three different troops c converging from three different places to get to this place. Uh, yeah. These guys need to use the Enterprise because they can't pass through Andorian space because these idiots are at war. Also, all this trade dispute talk has me missing my star wars weeks <laughs> well don't worry uh ambassador grawl comes aboard with his entourage and as predicted they complain about everything but enterprise gets a distress call and when they move to pick up survivors it is of course shran's crew in their escape pods mm. uh shran tells archer that a new and more powerful tellarite ship ambushed him and destroyed the other ship that we never saw that was carrying his ambassador and he's not pleased at all to learn that there are some Tellarites on board. Uh, Enterprise recovers his sensor logs. And, but uh, even when they show them to Grawl, he denies the accusations. Yeah. 
Shran gets real drunk with Archer and they talk about how great his old ship was and how he's been banging one of his crew. Oh, <laughs> the yeah. usual. Yeah. Um, but now an Andorian ship intercepts Enterprise. It doesn't respond to Hales and it starts firing, takes Enterprise out of warp. Uh, Shran can't get them to abort the attack. Enterprise can't get through their shields, even when Shran gives them the coordinates for the shield generator. Right. But the ship does have like a weird power malfunction or fluctuation and it withdraws. Shran thinks it wasn't an Andorian ship at all. But of course, to him, that means that it's a Tellarite fake. Right. Uh, Grawl's entourage thinks that Archer is conspiring with the Andorians. And why wouldn't they think that? Shran's been eating at the captain's table and these <laughs> idiots are locked up under guard. It's true. Archer does not um, avoid any... Uh, any odd looks about playing favorites at all. Yeah. Um, so they're not pleased with that. Uh, T-Paul has discovered that the power signature of the two mystery ships is identical. Uh, but Shran finds it pretty difficult to believe that they could be the same ship. Archer proposes to follow the attacking ship. They follow its warp trail. But he's also having doubts. He asks T-Paul whether Earth might be moving too fast, whether they shouldn't be a part of this dispute at all. Hey, is that what the show's about? It's a real first season question <laughs> that he has it's just now occurred to him, perhaps. Um, and then in an absolute non-sequitur, he says, I hear you got a letter from Vulcan today. Yeah. And she says, yeah, I'm divorced now. I didn't know what was happening there. I thought, like, suddenly he was going to start getting suspicious. Like, why are you talking to the Vulcans in secret? Yeah. But yeah, it was but just, no, like, personal business. It just turns out to be some personal business, and they couldn't think of a way to get a second conversation in. <laughs> uh, Enterprise reaches the ship, but the ship that attacked them is not there. And instead, there's a fucking crazy-looking tadpole ship all covered with antennas, and it's full of fucking Romulans. <clears throat> And one of them is watching VR porno right there in the living room I or know. something. And doing stuff with his hands and who knows what yeah. he's up to. Well, he's playing Stratagema with his hands, but he is <laughs> he he's watching porno still. He was playing Stratagema too. Yeah, he had the Stratagema <laughs> thing. The on. actor, hey, uh, do something with your hands. And he just went, You mean like this? I just started moving his fingers around in there. Sure. I don't uh, care. This ship <laughs> this crazy ship isn't answering Archer's hail. So he sends Reed and Trip over to board it with a couple of Makos. And, like, just two Makos. Yeah. Not a big enough boarding party. Uh, one of the Romulans starts preparing to destroy the ship rather than let Starfleet have it. But I guess they get it fixed because it powers up and attacks Enterprise. And it's maneuvering like crazy wild. And it's throwing the crew that Archer sent over all around in there. Yeah. Enterprise has to beam them back, but they can only do it one at a time for plot reasons. They get the two Makos, but then the pad blows up. Uh, Enterprise has to withdraw, leaving Reed and Trip on board. The Romulan ship starts chasing them. Reed's suit's damaged. They got to do a bunch of oxygen business. Mm -hmm. um, Enterprise gets faster now. <laughs> so it manages to outrun them. They go all the way up to like warp 5.1. Yep. Uh, at this point, Shran has his girlfriend bypass the security protocols so that they can interrogate Grawl, but apparently what that means is that she just tries to seduce the guard, so we'll get to that in a minute. Yep. 
Yep, yep. He asked her to specifically to bypass the security protocols. That does not seem to happen. That's code like uh, um, when you're going to fix the plasma manifolds, I guess. No, I guess so, yeah. T-Paul and Archer have started to think that maybe this ship is Romulan based on the power cell technology from all those mines they encountered. Right. And uh, and back on the ship, Reed and Trip get caught trying to steal some oxygen from a maneuvering thruster. Yeah. Uh, this is where Shran's girlfriend tries to seduce and then just beats up a Mako. They head to Grawl and his people and start making a bunch of threats. Uh, the Romulans are trying to shake Reed and Trip to death by making the ship do crazy stuff. <laughs> Teepole has worked out that this, uh, the, the, all the antennas and everything on the outside of this ship are hollow emitters and that this ship was purpose built to stir up shit. Yeah. Um, Archer gets a call from security about weapons fire. He and the Makos clear the way to the Tellarite quarters. Archer promises to prove it wasn't a Tellarite ship, and Shran gives up his weapon, but one of the Tellarites shoots his girl. But, oh, don't worry, she wasn't hurt. Yeah, she's fine. Not that we care. Trip and Reed get to the bridge of this ship, but it's empty. Oh, no. And we discovered that the ship is being controlled remotely from Romulus from to be continued. That cool matte painting of Romulus. Now that's CGI now, buddy. Now it's CGI, CGI from models. Nemesis. Yeah. <clears throat> Nemesis really gave the show Romulan uniforms and a bunch of other stuff, so it uh, it came just in time. Matt, what's this one about? Mm, anger and mistrust must be shelved in favor of open mindedness. Uh look, the Tellarites and Andorians have an existing uh, issue and so they can only accuse each other when something bad happens but, even if the bad thing is kind of hard to believe yeah yeah and the crazier it gets the like they still keep hanging on to that it, you know it must be the tellerites or it must be the andorians star trek that's a that's a star trek take i gave it a six um ben gave it a five with people are easily fooled because they see what they want to see so living in the same neighborhood is my take i am closer to ben on this one okay. but i'm even closer to the next generation episode devil's do that we watched last week oh sure i remember that one yeah uh since your eyes can be fooled you should always ask about the motivation behind a purported action yeah uh I would not have thought that this episode would have the same take as Devils do, and unfortunately, it's not a high-scoring take. I gave it a three. Okay. But the point here is that, like you said, they're too angry, but they also never stop to ask, like, Archer keeps asking Shran, what is in this for the Tellarites? Yeah. <laughs> like, they set up this conference. What's the whole deal? And it's the same for both of them, right? The yes. idea that it's a third party who wants, who would profit from this war continuing never occurs to either of them. No one stops to ask about it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In terms of execution, number one, I am sick of false flag conspiracies in Star Trek. <laughs> they do happen a lot. We don't need any more of them, and I can't believe that at the height of the 9-11 was an inside job lunacy, this would have been an appealing take. Yeah. Like, knock it off with the false flags. They basically don't happen in real life. It's it's true it would be a conspiracy theorist's fucking favorite program. Yeah. Number two, we know that Enterprise can't communicate in real time with Earth. 
So how's this fucking ship being controlled from Romulus? Well, they got all those antennas on them. Oh, wait, oh it's got a lot the, of antennas. That's for the hologram stuff? Oh, oh sure. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, number th- so This always happens, too. But number three, why would the Romulans think that an alliance was remotely in the cards? Why are they so desperate to stop this conference from happening? That's my. This is a conference about trade disputes. But it's like... In television and in science fiction... The, the bad guys always know the exact last moment that they have to interfere with something. <laughs> it's like, it's always an all or nothing deal. Yeah. Yes, my main problem with the episode when we get to my execution is the Rom- is all the Romulan stuff. Yeah. And, and number four, what are the technological levels of these various powers? Yeah. Like, these Romulans seem real real strong their ship is a real world beater here yeah the ship is powerful and it is obviously a new kind of drone technology that they haven't seen before or something so it's like it's technologically advanced in many different ways it's kind of a mess of a show plot wise Mm -hmm. but the most of the tv stuff isn't that bad this week so i gave it as many as four okay uh ben agreed and gave it a four um, he pulled out, why did Shran, or I pulled out of his notes, why did Shran tell the Tellarite he was going to pay for his people's crimes? He wanted to get some answers, and now the guy doesn't have any incentive to give them out. Yeah, the whole um, interrogation seemed like it was a real on-the-fly thing. He was, They were, like, pissed sitting in their quarters, and they were like, let's fucking go interrogate those guys. And I guess they didn't really think about what they were going to say before they got down there. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't seem planned out. They just kind of went in there. They spent too much time planning the seduction and like how much underwear should she be <laughs> the in? Underwear is what so... would be too much? What would just make the guy suspicious? The underwear is very funny. Uh, yeah, so a four from Ben. Let's see. I have... Um, this, is, this is Star Trek and this episode is very much in line with what we've come to see in many Star Trek episodes. The problem is... The Romulans are getting so heavily involved this season. Um, remember, they were doing all the shit on Vulcan not that long ago. In TOS and TNG, they really seem like they're so damn mysterious and isolationist, <laughs> and no one knows anything about them, even what they look like or whatever. But these guys are just out here aggressively trying to extend their influence in this season. And, and they have to make they have to do all this drone business because Spock doesn't know what a Romulan looks like. No yeah. one knows that they're related to Vulcans a hundred years from now. It's a, so they do this wild stretch. And look, I'm not saying it's impossible for the Romulans to have done a bunch of business here because we know from TOS and TNG that at some point there's a big conflict. Where, yes, they never know what they look like, but there's a big conflict with the Romulans. It's maybe around this era sometime. I don't know. But it's not clear to me what the Romulan motive is other than to mix shit up. Like, are they... They want to stop a power... Like, they... Because they have their own Daniels in the Cold War, they also know about the founding of the Federation and they want to stop it for some reason. Yeah, I guess, because otherwise... Like, literally, if it turned out that these Romulans were from the future, it would explain the hollow ship, it would explain why they have the uniforms from Nemesis. And what they were worried about. It would explain what they were worried about. But if these are just Romulans from this era, like, no one even knows who the Romulans are or what they look like. Like, they're clearly not involved in this part of space. Why does it even matter? This is like, seems like a big risk to do all this shit. 
that's not a game of chess. They're just goblins. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's like other than just to be dicks and go out there and dick with everybody they can. There doesn't seem to be any kind of strategy. So I don't really know what we're supposed to be doing with the Romulans here. Uh, that VR setup was extremely cheesy. <laughs> the, the guy in the fucking blast shield helmet and the like you said the Stratagema gloves just fucking spinning around in his chair and going. Boop, 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 boop. It's like really bad. Um, do you remember when Trip was really critical to the mission? In the yes. old days, I guess. I sure do. I guess that ended when they stopped the Zindi weapon, because they agree with him when he says to beam up the Makos before trying yep. to get me and the other senior officer here. Yeah, it's it's wild when you think about it. Like, definitely don't leave the two armed guards for last, <laughs> even though they could protect everyone as they beamed out. Yeah, like, their job is to go there uh-huh. and mix it up with weapons and stuff. Like, maybe leave them and take the important senior officers and leave behind the people who are there to do shooting. I mean, it's really very patronizing about the Makos when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. But no one says anything. They're just like, all right, well, he said to beam up the Makos first. I guess we'll do that. And then, of course, they're not able to beam up the other two. So that was cheesy. Um... This blue lady's seduction scene <laughs> is is rough. Uh, points for at least it failed. It did fail. The guy does not fall for it. I mean, except then he does just get his ass kicked. She literally just comes out. Uh, well, he actually knocks Shran out with the butt of his rifle. So he manages to get one of them. It's not too bad. But the half-naked one kicks the crap out of him. Yeah, she does beat him up pretty good. Um, So I guess Andorians just wear, like, human-style underpants? It's very odd how it is exactly from the uh, Enterprise underwear collection. Just it's not bright all pink. the same blue, but like, <laughs> it's just a fucking ribbed tank and some boy shorts. It's really crazy. Um, Listen, the Andorians are very like us. Yes, they have antennas and they get married in groups of four. And they're blue. And they duel each other to the death and et cetera, et cetera. But they have the same sense of shame and modesty, and they cover all the same parts of their body as we do, (laughs) in the same order of priority. Yes. Ugh. Hey, why is this a cliffhanger? It's a three-parter. No, it's another three-parter? It's a three-parter. I don't even remember. By the way, I don't remember this arc at all. I've technically seen all these episodes. I didn't remember anything about this one. Um, I was surprised. I felt like this one could have resolved yeah, when I, I saw the two be continued, I was like, oh. I figured they were just going to steal the drone and then maybe it would be like, um, not like a pure to be continued, but they were just going to be like, oh, we'll have to keep our eye on these guys. And that would be it. But no, I got to keep coming back for more. Um, I gave it a three. Wasn't that into it. So surely it did some world building, though. Sure, man. We got the t- uh, Tellarites. They're real complainy and they eat dogs. I guess they got dogs on Teller Prime. They have a long trade dispute going on with the Andorians. Uh, let's see, the neutral planet Babel. Babel. <clears throat> this show, man, that authentic Tellarite cuisine is some yellow peppers and dragon fruit and shit. <laughs> yep. These fuckers eat stuffed peppers and dragon fruit for sure. Dude, do you remember the when Hoshi ate those things that were like just like strawberries? Uh-huh. She's like, wow, they're just like strawberries. And it's like, they were just strawberries. Yep. Why is the plot 
I mean, the prop department on this show is so fucking lazy. Uh, I will tell you... They that just went to any grocery <laughs> store to get that Tellarite food. After they filmed this episode, they learned that they were canceled. So I would expect <laughs> that the give a shit is about to go down. Like, they let them finish out the season, but... I can't disagree, because after I watch this episode, I think they should be canceled. Um... Everyone seems to agree the Tellarites are less technologically sophisticated than the Andorians. Reed is able to detect Tellarite weapon signatures, so I guess Starfleet has a lot of info about that kind of thing. Um, Shran claims the Tellarites have broken every accord with Andoria. This continuing Romulan plot against everybody, I guess. I'd describe the Romulan ship and its technology, but I didn't really understand what was happening in that episode some kind of crazy drone i don't know it's quite quite difficult to understand uh beridium power cells or some kind of romulan hallmark technology and yeah i guess we know andorians wear human style underpants <laughs> um by the way was that re- reveal okay a- all right theory corner what if he had her put those on because he thought that's what would be seductive to that guard Maybe. what if he's like no don't wear our crazy super exotic Andorian <laughs> underpants that cover different parts and are made of different materials. I guess that might... Let's put on some of their... Let's break their security protocols <laughs> and put on some of their underpants for the purposes of seduction. Well, that was going to be my question, because then where did they get them? Because I think they're in some empty-ass quarters. Did somebody keep their underpants in there? Or did they yeah. really have to sneak out, get the underpants, come back to their quarters, put on the underpants, and then come out? Instead of just, you've already broken security, you could just go and get to the Tellarites. Better or worse scene if Shran tries to seduce the guard first? <laughs> uh, it's got to be better, right? It would show how but it's a better scene, sexually right? open the Andorians are, for one thing. He wouldn't be hung up on something like that. They marry in groups of four, you know? Um, Is the reveal that the ship is a drone some kind of big fucking deal? Because, like, we had drones uh, in the early 2000s. It's just like 2000s. now you know that they're not going to ever know that the Romulans did this. Okay. I thought maybe they were going to, like, right at the end there, they threw in an anti-drone message of some kind. Oh, yeah, maybe. Like, oh, you see what's happening with drones? I feel like drone sentiment has advanced in the years since this. Like, it'd be more likely to be an anti-drone sentiment now. For sure. If this was made in 20-teens or something, you'd have a a drone episode. But I I was like, wow, they really are shocked by that thing being a drone. Does it matter? I guess it matters. Although I just watched the uh, operations room rundown of the first day of the air war in desert storm okay and apparently there were drones used even in that that's what i'm saying we had drones then yeah we had the predator drone or whatever that one's called like we had that shit so the fact that everyone in the show is really shocked about it being a drone i mean i guess if they know anything about the star trek universe like you they'd be like well we, it takes us so long to contact home you know, it seems like real-time communication would be a big issue. Yeah, so maybe that's... Like, the drone doesn't act laggy in this. Everyone <laughs> no. talks all the time about how maneuverable it is. Yep. So it's not just like, ooh, the ship doesn't need to power life support or inertial dampeners or anything like that, so it's just got a lot of power available for weapons and engines. They're like, I just... Why? How does it move like that? <laughs> oh... They also didn't put any countermeasures into it, because like you said, their only defense against people boarding it is to shake around a lot. Shake them up. <laughs> shake them up real good. Uh, I gave it a four. There's a lot happening. I don't know what the impact of any of it is, but there is a lot. Uh, Ben's a four. Tellarites are argumentative. 
Romulans don't want the peace to happen, then he kind of trails off. Um, Yeah, no, yeah, it's the same stuff. Tellarites eat dogs and they're permanently shitty. There's some kind of trade dispute with the Andorians. Romulans are known shit disturbers. Holoprojectors and drone ships. But it's a four for me, too. Characterization. Character was a yeah 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 yeah. Um, Archer somehow does a much better job with Grawl than he does with Shran, a man he's met countless times. Yeah. Like, he needs Hoshi to explain Shran to him before their next meeting, <laughs> so and maybe do, do a couple of practice runs. Yeah. And then he'll do better, I think. Yeah. Also, it sucks that Shran is so into torture again. And it sucks that he dates his subordinate. Yeah. But we saw, didn't we see that at the end of her last appearance? That she was going to try to get with him? Was she in that one on the planet? She was in another one. Okay. And I think it was, I think we were supposed to detect that they were maybe going to be an item, but I don't know why we would have cared. Yeah, I, I obviously, I clearly didn't. Um... Most of the Enterprise crew is fine this week, but this isn't a character show for any of them. No. The closest is, like, T'Pol opens up to Archer the tiniest amount about her divorce, and Trip opens up to read the tiniest amount mm-hmm. about his feelings about her divorce. Yeah. But it's, like, microscopic amounts. Yeah, on the Romulan drone ship, they have a real discovery-like situation where they're in the middle of a big crisis, but they decide they they got time to chat a little bit about personal yeah. stuff. So it's not a big character show. It's not actually bad character-wise. I gave it four. Okay. Uh, ben gave it a two. At the beginning, Archer claims he's going to have a hard time being a dick and then is fucking fluent in the language, even telling Trip that he stinks like a Florida skunk. <laughs> he says at least with a guy like Kirk you know that fucker was an asshole he didn't try to hide it yeah well we'll just say that the word half breed came to his lips very quickly when he needed a way to rile up Spock instantly. surprisingly quickly instantly oh man I don't miss TOS but they were definitely much better in season one. Oh, for sure I mean they jumped out to a pretty big lead yeah uh, I agreed with you I gave it a four um, Hoshi takes that dig at her weight in stride. That yeah. thing he ad-libbed as part of their little scene, she just smiles and says, nice touch, instead of, what the fuck was that? Yeah. Uh, hey. Let's stick I to the fucking script. Be nice. Yeah. Tucker resents uh, being a shuttle service for these people. Little does he know that the Federation flagship will do that shit all the time in the future. Yeah, he's mad because they're like they're supposed to be explorers, but like, has he ever been to Babel One? Yeah, has he ever met a Tellarite? If they'll even let you leave the ship, you fucking hillbilly, then you can explore that. There should be a lot of shit that's pretty exciting about this big, big mission. Yeah, and he does. He just he can't he can't get it up for it. I don't know why. Well, that's okay. He gets to go on his adventure anyway. He gets to go onto the Romulan ship. Uh, Trip wants the Mako's beamed up before he gets beamed up. I don't. I guess that says something about him. Um, Archer takes to his duties with the Tellarites well, and he loves fucking with Trip. Shran is real close to his crew, and they've all served together a really long time, and I guess he's an item with that lady now. Despite how well he gets along with Archer, he's still shown to be pretty emotional and unreasonable. 
he has not had a Soval-like attitude adjustment. Um, Reed is now meddling in Tripp's personal life and, um, in the cool Star Trek way, just right in the middle of a dangerous situation. <laughs> hey, so I heard, uh, I heard, uh, T'Pol, her divorce is official or whatever. It's like, hey, um, aren't you running out of air? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Yep. So just a four. Uh, quick hitters. Did you write down quick hitters for Enterprise? I think I got one. Ben says that the gloves remind him of the Nintendo Power Glove because he's a child of the 80s. <laughs> and that's not a bad pull, but obviously Stratagema is the way to go with these guys. Yeah. Uh, I think if Shran died in that first scene, I would have just stopped watching Enterprise. <laughs> You're like, no more Shran? There's only eight episodes left? Yeah, I'm out. Um, yeah, I would probably tell you I was still doing the project and just hand in random notes and see if I fooled anybody. Um... I'm not sure I would do this diplomacy thing right with the Tellarites. Would this count if you if I just said eat shit tiny to the Tellarite guy? Would that work? Or like, hey yo, check it out. Puke talks now. Is that good <laughs> enough? Because <laughs> I I think I'd find it hard to like toe the line of what's acceptable insults. It's a tough one. I mean, what if you just. What if it turns out you can't eat dinner around these guys? That's happened on this ship. It's happened, and they had to meet those guys multiple times. <laughs> remember? It was like an <laughs> ongoing plot. that the, yes. Every time he apologized to them, he'd do something else. Like, remember he brought his dog the one time? Yep. <sighs> this show. Uh, I don't have any more quick hitters. I just have a few. Do Tellarites eat earth dogs, or just dog-like animals on their own planet? Yes, that was my question about... When he says they eat canines, I was like, how do they got those? When uh, Tripp said he likes these guys because they speak their mind, I said, makes sense. This guy's from Florida. <laughs> you could have a beer with these guys. Exactly. Uh, I really did not like watching this Tellarite tongue that mushroom. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> Gotta write down something here. <laughs> But Tongue That Mushroom is a great episode title. <laughs> well, we'll see what you come up with. Um, this Romulan commander, his mouth protrudes as much as Jay Sook and Seichan combined. Well, I don't know if you recognize that guy. It sounds like you didn't. Is it Navek? No, I don't even have to look it up. That guy's Clag. <laughs> like, I'm not, okay. not going to look it up because I know it. Okay, you're right. He does have that same shape face. That's Clag. Did you hear his voice? <laughs> why? I was like, why is this guy's voice so deep in there? Oh, it's fucking Clag. Uh, any news about this guy's father? <laughs> I'd like to know this Romulan backstory in Do regards to his father. Does he wait? <laughs> uh, I'm super glad for everybody that Reed and Trip had the correct quick release fittings to connect to this Romulan fuel tank. <laughs> it's true. It's perfect fit. It fucking clicks in. Like, they just went down to Harbor Freight and got the cheap one. You know, everybody in this part of space uses the same distributor for these parts. Yeah. I guess being a drone explains no life support and no inertial dampeners, and also the guy jacked into the Matrix. 
but it is wild that the Romulans will abandon this technology in favor of enormous battle cruisers twice the size of the Enterprise with like 5,000 crew. It's true. This, I guess these next two episodes probably won't go that well for them. Yeah, we're, I think it's going to have to not go great for this drone. And I, it's going to have to be in a way that makes it the default of being a drone. It, I think well, is the only explanation. Yeah, or like some kind of weird political consequences that makes everyone refer to this as the drone incident or something. And everyone's <laughs> right. like, oh, you remember what happened the last time we used drones? Um, I gave best actor to uh, Grawl. He does a lot of eye acting this week. Yeah. That's and worst actor to Travis. I don't really remember why, but he got a couple of lines. <laughs> he said something. It was I bad. Clearly was not impressed by them. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It felt like a long one. Was it long? A little bit. A okay. little bit. Fourth place this week. 20 points. Voyager vis-a-vis. Always last place. So, uh, third place this week. 28 points. TNG clues. Hey, this is the same order as last week. Come on, something's got to change. Second place this week, 32 points. Enterprise, Babel 1. All right, that's There's good. your change. Yeah. Winner this week with uh, 39 points, Deep Space Nine accession. That's Deep Space Nine's 27th win. Yeah. At this point, they're only seven behind TNG. They're hanging in there, for sure. They are, however... 20 ahead of Enterprise. Enterprise has been mathematically eliminated for a long time. They have 10 episodes left, maybe 11. It's a fence post error. Their last one's week 97. Yeah, last week we were trying to figure out whether they could technically catch TOS, but I don't. Even if they have enough to catch their total by percentage, it won't be as good. So That is true. Um, they do technically have enough time to get to 17 wins. They would have to win every single remaining week. Hey, anything's possible. They got Clag in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so 34 wins for The Next Generation, 27 for Deep Space Nine, 17 for TOS, 7 for Enterprise. Just two so far for Voyager, Phage, and something else. I forget what it's, it was. They're on a streak that's honestly, I, I can't use the word unprecedented because this is the only project like this in existence, but it is baffling how yeah. Voyager's average score keeps going lower. <laughs> Every time I bother to look at their average score, it's lower than before. They're at 24.66 now. I remember I, listening to an old one of these not that long ago where they were up at like 29. Like, it is, they have really fucking tanked it. So. I'm just looking now. The second highest scoring Voyager episode. Can it really be prime factors at rank 65? I don't even remember what that episode is. I need to. I need, we need to let's filter let's just see, Prime see factors. what the fuck was that Prime. yeah it is from week nine so that didn't win oh, a long time ago okay uh that's also tied with alliances deadlock basics part one did any of oh my god win? prime factors is the one with that fucking mediterranean alien who wanted those stories Ah, yeah. <laughs> where tuvok does a where tuvok betrays the federation and everything it stands for <laughs> That's their second highest rated episode? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, they wow. I they only have that. one episode over 39 points. Wow. The uh, basics part one didn't win. That's crazy. Week. They are terrible. De- Deadlock did win its week. So their two wins are Phage and from week 36, Deadlock. But for all- so for 51 weeks, they have not won. <laughs> for a while, they were like 
they weren't doing that bad. Like in season one, it was DS9 that was really fucking garbage. And yeah. Voyager was doing kind of okay, but it's been a long fucking slide since then. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's real rough. And, and frankly, the last time there was a change in ranking oh, geez. was in week 64 when Deep Space Nine overtook TOS, uh, TOS yeah. for second place. Uh, so the the order has been static for now 23 weeks. Uh, prior to that was when Enterprise passed Voyager in week 43. Okay. So it's been a... Voyager's been in the bottom since week 43. They had another earlier stretch in the bottom uh, at the sort of end of season one, beginning of season two timeline. Yeah. And Deep Space Nine has been out of the bottom... Oh, no. Yeah, Deep Space Nine has been out of the bottom slot since week 19. Okay. But yeah, oh, that's they, started they started pretty bad. Doing those political episodes. Yeah. Um, oh, crap. I was just about to say something. Well, I forgot. It don't matter. Don't know this matter. Um, no. Next week. Next week, everybody watch Attack of the Clones. I don't want to. I don't either. That's the really, really bad one. Yeah, but think of it this way. Once we're done with that one. Just, I, look, I'm still like episode three is some kind of fucking treat. The following week, we'll do week 88 of this Star Trek project. Yeah. We're watching First Contact. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are it. you so jazzed about that one? Uh, because that's where Riker fucks an alien again. You know, his main game. It, it, it does happen. <laughs> uh, we're watching Rules of Engagement. That's the one I accidentally remembered a few episodes back where Worf has to do a Rashomon for... He did a he blew up a Klingon ship and whether it was a fuck up on his part. We don't historically love Star Trek Rashomons. No. <clears throat> what did... Uh, this is not worth looking up. A Matter of Perspective scored 28. Okay. I don't remember the name of the one where um, Archer was on trial and his lawyer was Martok. I don't remember the name of that one anymore, but that has called that. Justice. Oh, damn. And it You were all over scored. that. That was one of the higher scoring ones, though, as I remember. Oh, well, there you go, then. But it unfortunately... Maybe called Judgment? Judgment is what it was called, and it scored 44 and won the week. Yeah. Okay. Well. So, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, that had that had Martok in it, of course. But yeah. Voyager is the Omega Directive. Did I recall that you were excited about that for, like, uh, Star Trek Online reasons? I mean, I think we're going to learn that Starfleet has a directive even higher than the Prime Directive in it. Ah. And it is... To destroy Omega particles? Yes, is that right? It's extremely dumb. It's like when they okay. It's like when the only death penalty on the books was that one planet. It's like that. That's right. Breaking that quarantine. And Enterprise, we're going to be continuing this story with United. Oh well, it sounds like the Romulans aren't going to get their wish. (laughs) It does seem like it, doesn't it? Mm. That's what you should watch for week eighty-eight. Next week we'll do Attack of the Clones. Uh. We're a couple of weeks out from another mailbag and the return of Billy Joel. Yeah, but please send us mail. That's at Brother Date on the Twitter machine. 
Um, it's brothers at brotherate.com if you want to email us. Go to brotherate.com to check out Landrew, etc. Um, we did we changed up our host. Does that make any difference to anybody, or are they still going to get it through their iTunes and whatever? Uh, here's hoping we will find out when we publish this if anybody has trouble. Okay. Uh, if you signed up using our old feed URL, you might not see the new episode, but then you would never hear this message. So just uh, <laughs> hopefully you'll see on Twitter that we changed it. Subscribe through iTunes or, or we're on Spotify now. We're on. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Stitcher. So Stitcher heads, I see you out there, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Stitcher heads for Ho- life. Hopefully, uh, hopefully this new web host will uh, be able to stand up to the nearly three hour episode we're about to try to <laughs> upload. It managed to import the other ones, so here's hoping. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Thanks for playing along. We'll see you next week. He just got his femoral artery <laughs> nicked and he's bleeding to death and like, getting cold and starting to get tremors. And he they're didn't just like, know. So he's a clown? <laughs> have a long conversation, including the other O'Brien, real O'Brien, just kind of <laughs> looking at him like, oh, what's this? Please subscribe.